people, welcome to another week's Live Life the Rest of the Show. Sincere Hogan, that's me. Uh, let's see, who's that other dude on the other line? That's Mike Mahler. Hey, man, what's up? That's me. Still it got here. a little tricky for a minute because I'm looking at Skype, and as soon as I started talking, it's like a picture drop down, but it was actually, I guess, it's, you know, it's his picture. I thought it was you, and I thought you got dropped, so I was about to go so into like... As soon as you started talking, Ted Rice popped up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, guys? I'm like, no, that was you, you were last week, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had such a good time last week, I thought I was... I was I'm just going to hang out on Skype and wait for you guys this week. <laughs> uh, uh, man, we have a lot to talk about. We have a great guest today, and he's a, he's a big UFC fan as well, so we're definitely going to talk about UFC 96. That was a fun one. At least the main event and the co-main event were fun. The rest of that card was oh a man, snoo- that was a, that was a snooze fest. I was trying my best not to drink coffee that at that time, of the night. <laughs> was, but they were they were forcing the issue. <laughs> so. Yeah, when when you have to drink a cup of co- when you're watching the UFC and you're thinking, huh, a cup of coffee would be nice right now, <laughs> and it's eight o'clock in the evening, like no, it would not be nice. Just turn the channel, man. <laughs> Uh, so before we get to our guests, though, we have some VIPs that have been using that code LLA to get 10% off the best nutrition supplements money can buy. We have Gibran Britt, Chet Sandberg, and Chet's a longtime supporter, Dana Koliani, Ravi Singh, Roland Showman. And Roland is actually an Olympic-level swimmer. He's going to be competing nice. in the next Olympics. He's out of South – he lives in – he's from South Africa. He lives in Arizona right now for his training. Really interesting guy. So thank you, Roland. And here we go. Here's a guy who's actually paying for some great supplements instead of endorsing crap he doesn't use. So that's a good lesson for a lot of athletes out there. We have Vinny M., Kyle Anderson, Ed Frank, Donald Motley, and William Maida. Now, that Robbie Singh that, that you have right there, is he from Houston? Just yes, yeah, I think so. I think so. I was like, that's one of my buddies right there, old DJing buddy from back in the day. Oh, really? Cool. <laughs> yeah, when you said that. But then I was like, okay, Robbie Singh is a very common name. So let me just make sure before I say, hey, that's my boy. Like, nah, it's not. But yeah, if it's from Houston, yeah, that's my buddy Robbie. R- Rob- so. Robbie is so R A V I? Yeah, that's him. Okay. So yeah, man. Good looking out for him. Cool, man. And also a big shout out to all of our Patreon supporters out there on patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Continue to support us on a monthly basis. Also, want to give a shout out to one of our VIPs, Maria Peden, who um, actually bumped yeah, up great. her monthly donation. So keep seeing the bump ups going on here, man. And uh, saw a couple of people chatting back and forth on the fan page, like, yeah, it might be time to you know start supporting on Patreon. Yes, it is. Somebody said, "Come in, let's make it happen, man. Become one of those monthly supporters." And otherwise, head to both our websites, MikeMuller.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use that coupon code LLA. Get ten percent off of all of our products. If you can buy it, you can get a discount on it, man. Ten percent off. Just use that coupon code. And uh, yeah, continue to be a VIP to support this show. We appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate the bump ups, and I'm sure you guys appreciate not getting rear-ended because when you listen to our show, you get some great content. <laughs> you know, our guest started this whole little bum thing. You know, <laughs> before we started recording, and now it seems like bum is going to be the theme. Oh, we're going to have some bum talking points too, because that also relates. <laughs> we're going to talk about some bums, and then we're going to talk about some nice bums that you know that, that competed <laughs> against each other. <laughs> So, yeah, but also uh, also to quote our good friend Prince Bell regarding red, the first transport is away. And that's <laughs> <laughs> you, st- you Star Wars dorks out there. <laughs> I just saw him place an order, so I <laughs> <laughs> Prince Prince does a great Star Wars channel on YouTube, and he dresses up like Mace Windu or <laughs> some some <laughs> some Jedi Knight from. <laughs> so of all the Jedi Knights, you had to pick the one black one, huh? <laughs> And then he goes out of his way to talk like a white guy, though, on the show. So that, that, that's an interesting juxtaposition there. Yeah, that's why when you said Mace Window, I'm like, he doesn't sound like Mace Window. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
dresses like Mace Windu, talks like Ben Kenobi on there. <laughs> no, but his his yeah. his his YouTube show is great. If you're a Star Wars fan, I mean, like I was telling Sincere, I, I tuned in one time just to be supportive. I was like, yeah, I'll watch a little bit of this just to just to see. I did, and I ended up watching three or four clips in a row. So he does a fantastic job. Yeah, he's putting the time and working that bad boy, man. So something can be said, man, by actually following your passion. You, it'll show. No one will ever have to question how much you're into something, man, or if it's even, you know, worth your time. They can just tell by your energy, and he's putting the energy into that. So there's some people that tell you about what they're doing, like, oh, man, so what's up with you? Oh, man, you know, I'm just doing this, that, still, blah, blah, blah. That's not exciting. Just, right. just save that conversation. We're, we're good. Let's just move on to something else. But there's some <laughs> people, even if you're not a, like, like Mike said, he's not even a Star Wars fan, but you kind of think like, Shh, okay, this is pretty cool. Cause he's just, just the energy that Prince gives off about this, man. And that, that makes you a little bit, that makes you interested. At least for that moment. I'm pretty sure once you logged off, you're like, okay, and I'm back. <laughs> well, I'm a fan. I, I'm just not someone who celebrates Die with the hard, pr- yeah. Princess Leia panty night or something along those lines. She never wore panties, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't wear panties in outer space. What are you talking about? <laughs> panties on all around, man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, you bring up a good point because our guest today has also has a great YouTube channel. And I was watching one of his clips before we started recording today. And he has a great clip talking about the myth of overnight success. Overnight success is usually 10 years of hard work and determination, and then different things converge where people know about you, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, this guy came out of nowhere. (laughs) Right. Well, it's because they were not hanging out in nowhere all those years with him. That's why. Like they came out of some vortex, some (laughs) alternate universe. vacuum. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Came out of nowhere. I love sayings like that. They're so moronic. It just gives mediocre people an excuse to keep being mediocre. But our, our guest today is Mark LaRusse, and he's the author of It's Not You, It's Me. And that's, an, that's a pretty cool title right there. And he's not, he's not even talking about another person. So we'll talk to him about that in a second. And he has a coaching business in London. He went to the Coaches Training Institute after just being totally distraught with his previous job. And then things really changed. How you doing today, Mark? I'm good, mate. Thanks, guys, for having me. Oh, it's good to have you, man. Mm-hmm. A lot of interesting stuff to talk about, but I know you're a huge UFC fan as well. <laughs> so let's, uh, yeah, let's talk just, about. Was, yeah, I was on the edge of my seat as you guys. As soon as you started talking about the, you know, the, the 196 card, I was just like, ooh, there's some juicy stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> now, what's interesting is it was, it's funny how everyone got it wrong. In fact, I was reading sincere hey, actually. You, since I got you usually. I was zero and two. And, and yeah, yeah, I, exactly. And, and you <laughs> usually, I was gonna say, you usually have pretty good predictions. Hey, man, I'm usually put it like this. I'm, I'm a big man. You know, I, I, I sat there and I, I sat there and took it. In. I was like, okay, I put it on Twitter and I put my predictions out there. And when I was all wrong, trust me, I owned it. I was like, okay, I'm zero and two for the night. And even Joe DeFranco and I agree. You know, we're gonna just stick to training athletes, man. Just talking about <laughs> gambling, betting on the UFC, not our thing. <laughs> So. Well, it's funny how everyone got it wrong because all the experts on Bleacher Reports, any MMA website, you can imagine, they all got it wrong. Now, my, my take was that I didn't think Nick Diaz would win. Nate Diaz would win. I wanted him to win. I didn't think he would win, but if I, but if he did win, I thought it would be by submission. I thought if Connor won, it would be by decision. I just didn't think yeah. he would put Nate away. Yeah, I didn't see I mean, that happening. One thing I was yeah, for, everybody asked me, like, you know, what do you think? I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going with a TKO from Connor in the second round. I said, but I truly hope this is a bloody war that goes all five rounds, which means it could have gone anywhere at that point because we know these judges usually they're they're high, they're on crack, and it can anything can happen right there. So that's right. what I was hoping for. I didn't want it to be easy. I didn't want it to be like McGregor and Aldo 
where it's like, yeah. boom, over. I didn't want to see that, man. I wanted, especially after those boring-ass fights before that. Man, I'm just like, come on, man. What was interesting, though, is when you saw Connor land that left many times and it yeah. didn't put Nate away, you yeah. saw his That's confidence kinda, go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. There was a change, in the, and you saw Nate's confidence go way up. Yep. It's like, yeah. I can take that shit all night. But he, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and he so usually does, me, probably with his brother. You know? Yeah, I was going to say, for me, one, one of the – actually, I started getting worried for Connor during the um, – the videos, you know, the uh, embedded series. Yeah. When you were seeing him in mean, like having two breakfasts and you, you kept on going on about, I would go to bed with a belly full, I wake up with a belly full. And I just started thinking that's going to probably affect his performance. Especially that's not his was, norm. That is not his norm. Yeah. We're training, right, yeah. cutting and getting ready. So exactly. the thing is he got too comfortable. Like, Oh, I don't have to do yeah. anything this time around. I'm, I walk around <laughs> at this weight. I mean, neither one of yeah, them even made 170, you know, well, I, th- I think it's just too, it's just too heavy a weight class for him is, mm. is the last thing right. he learned. One, one Nate is not really a natural 170 either. Both of oh. these guys just came in with their walk around weight. Is what exactly. happened. Like some people are saying, oh, he went up two weight classes. Not really. No, he went up. Normal. He went up and fought a 155er without having to cut weight. Yeah, most fighters drop down two weight sizes. People, that's, you got it back. If, if he fought Robbie Lawler, yeah, that's going up two weight classes. And I think we can all say after this fight, he would have gotten Dude, destroyed, destroyed <laughs> by Robbie Lawler. That would have been your mind, young man. You would have felt sorry for him in that fight. Yeah, <laughs> you know that would have been brutal. That would have been. But but I, but I also I was definitely I was going to bet heavy on RDA if that fight went down because I, I just thought it was a really bad style matchup for Connor and this this fight confirmed that because once it went to the ground it was game over for him. Nick just he just was on he just put a stamp on what so many fighters have discovered with Connor's that ground game needs work it, mm-hmm. need, it needs some work man you know because he's good with the grind he's good standing. You know, but the thing, once again, he looks very uncomfortable on the ground. Well, he's also good with fighting little guys in yeah. a weight class that is not yeah. natural for him. He's not a natural 145 by any means of the stretch. When you look at him at the weigh-ins for 145, yeah. he looks like Skeletor. He looks like he's yeah. about to die. <laughs> right. One 155 would probably be his natural weight class, but definitely not 145. So he makes 145 somehow, and then he gets back to his normal weight before the fight. Right. So he's way bigger than the guys at he 145. Said it, in, in the, in yeah. the post fight interview, yeah. basically said that those shots would have basically brought down guys of my normal weight category, yes. but basically Nate just ate them, and he just he must have thought himself, "Fuck this!" I am. <laughs> I mean, when he went to second round, you could just see started being flat footed. Yeah. He was moving his head as much. He was just. He was just. I was just thinking, this is not going to end up well. Yeah, um, he tried, he tried yeah. to finish. I think so. He was just throwing everything he had. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't yeah. working. First round was good he- though. He won the first round. Yeah, he definitely yeah, yeah. Won the first. He won the first round, but he needed to finish in the first round because he didn't have much left for the second round. I yeah, think you can kind of see happens. that look on his face. Like, and again, you're uh, you're you're fighting a lot heavier, so you can you know he's kind of gassing. You know, the energy yeah. just really wasn't there. But the real the real good thing about the entire fight was just the going back and forth before. Oh, after yeah. like, it was the best for nine for a fight that was put on for only nine days. That was the best yeah. nine days ever, yeah. man. I mean, it was hilarious. There was some I mean, true did, gold it, being thrown back. It was going to be, it was going to be explosive. And it's funny because when you mentioned about you, you should have tried to put it, put him out. It reminded me of the Bisping against Silver fight in the yeah. second round. Yeah. And he dropped him, and he just gave everything he had. He just dropped bombs, and it just must have taken and sapped out all his energy. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> So. Yeah, but let's talk about those uh, <laughs> the, the, the decisions, the three fights before that. 
Oh, we don't, need, we, don't need, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, the three fights before that fight before that one. Okay, so because ladies put on a good fight. Like I told, like I put on Facebook, you know, I had, a, I had a post like, you know, the rear naked choke was the real MVP of the night. Yeah. <laughs> it was the real MVP. So, but of course, it's always funny how, you know, people kind of pick things and kind of run with it. Like, yeah, you know, everybody does this and that doing that. But, you know, one thing about it, jujitsu wins every time. Like, come on, people. Come on, let's. let's yeah, it's so stupid. Well, let's, it's let's easy not. to say that when someone does win with it, but we've seen jujitsu people get knocked out before because they don't have good stand-up skills. Exactly. So, so it's, it's, it's kind of a silly argument. Jiu-jitsu. I mean, can, can we? First of all, don't be so disrespectful to the fighters that you take away from their other skills. You know, it's not like they're just. It's not. It wasn't a jujitsu match. Okay, it wasn't. Well, I mean, Nate done. says that he he uses his jujitsu after using his great striking. In other words, he puts so yeah, much pressure with his striking that they yeah. want to go to the ground, and then that's where he wants to go too. And then he can finish them there. And yeah. that's what he's happened that, with Connor. He uses it as a tool, yeah. as a tool, as so many other things that we always talk about. It's not always this one thing. It's always a tool. Whether, just like we say in the strength game, you know, all these people try to say the kettlebells are the answer for everything. Like a certain clip that you sent me, Mike, you know, just kind of funny how <laughs> people were dancing around that subject. But they were, these were the same people that actually acted like, you know, kettlebell was the end all be all. But now to hear them singing different things and acting as if they never said that. What was no, funny about that clip is like, oh, this is how, this is how you passed all the big dogs in the kettlebell world. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I was like, you either are just totally delusional, or you have no uh, assessment of the landscape. But anyway, that's a we can we can do another we can do another show on that. Well, Dave Chappelle already did. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to pick up on something that since you just said, I think is really interesting around uh, people focus on you know Brazilian Jiu Jitsu as like the finisher, but when you look at it, it's what's what's amazing is that the Diaz brothers got this really. Um, highly entertaining and brutal boxing style. Yes, that is just going to punish. They just punish their opponents because they just keep on jabbing. Yeah, and the, and the boxing. Just, and then once they get them down to the ground, that's where you see where where you can see a black belt against a purple belt. Right, and especially like when the Diaz come from the Caesar Gracie kind of background, and it's just insane. I mean, it, 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 I couldn't believe how quickly he got Connor to tap out. I mean, it was compared to when home she just she went out like a champ she was like boxing i don't remember just before she yeah. she went to sleep you can see her throwing a couple of jabs and then yep. she's out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's the big difference right there and, and again hell even in <laughs> i actually had some people come you know they send me um some tweets as well even bringing up you know okay you know what was that about vegans now you know again i was like okay that, that's that's one thing you know maybe that could be it or not, but I know what it was really doing. No, but that, that, it, it was, was more directed toward Ido Porto and what he said and this, that, and the other. And, you know, Ido's working with Connor and there's all this big thing. And they, of course, they tagged Joe Rogan in a tweet as well. But I said, yeah. I said, but I said, I think the real thing is Connor needs to work on his jujitsu and his ground game. It wasn't so much that th- don't just seem like, okay, just because Nate. You well, know, I mean, playing, vegan, playing, so playing, more. playing, playing touch butt with Ido in yeah. the park. They have some, they have some benefits, you know? but he probably needs to spend more time on the BJJ. Nate's jokes were so funny. He's like, oh he's like, I'm boxing and doing jujitsu, and he's like, you're playing touch butt with that dork in the park with the ponytail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like that dork with the ponytail. With the noodle. <laughs> no, I mean, the best thing, man, when when Connor kept saying, you know, I'm gonna treat you like, uh, what do you say, like an antelope, like an antelope, no, a gazelle. He's like, I'm gonna treat you like a gazelle, like a gazelle. And then Nate goes, gazelle. Man, nobody even know what the hell that means. This is America, bitch. <laughs> you can tell a couple of times Connor just didn't know what to say back, which is the first time I've ever seen yeah, Connor. No. Like, he's, he's just like, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Man, but no, no, go think, ahead. I thought another thing that didn't you think that Connor looked a little bit stressed out walking in? I don't know if you remember when they were filming when he's arriving at the uh, venue, and I thought he looked a little bit kind of. Up. I don't know. I just felt he looked a little bit more stressed. And then you got yeah, super relaxed. I, mean, I think he looked a little bit. 
he looked a little less as cocky as normal. You know, yeah. I think also because that, okay, well, okay, this was for a win, if anything, but it wasn't for like the belt or something like that. And I think he also understood that I can't really get into this dude's head because that's what they do. They, they have been doing yeah, so getting exactly. the head thing long before Khan even probably thought about fighting, <laughs> you know, so you really can't get into a Diaz brother's head. That's what they no. do. And, and guess what? They're going to do it throughout the entire fight. They're going to be in the, in the octagon doing it to you. They're going to talk yeah, shit to from beginning to end. Yeah, and yeah you that's, what, that's, that's what they do to other people. So they're, exactly. not, they're not, they're not going to fall for what they do to other people. <laughs> What's funny is after, after the fight, they showed on YouTube his brother Nick's reaction. And Nick looks at the camera and he goes, oh, hey, 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 in the face god i can't stand it make it stop man <laughs> it's almost like okay look yeah i predicted you know i i said that connor would win i said but actually i hope he loses so i don't have to hear the soccer chant anymore tonight <laughs> the only honestly the only reason I didn't, I didn't have more confidence in nate is because of the late notice i felt yeah. if nate had a full training camp but i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say for sure oh yeah he's gonna go in there and win but I would I would lean that way especially uh, he was a four to one underdog which i thought was stupid you know so i was planning on placing a small bet on both Misha and Nate, because I, I didn't feel that the, the betting spread made any sense at all. But that's because one thing about people want to understand is that these guys, they train all year round. And I've heard them millions of times, even back in Strike Force, always saying that you should always be ready to fight. That's why they're always doing triathlons in between fights and all that. So they're constantly mm-hmm. doing something. They're not just sitting on their ass waiting for a call from Sean Shelby or something That's true, like that. but, but Nick, Nate said he was on the beach in Cabo partying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he got the call. <laughs> so he was making fun of himself. He's like, yeah, but he's like, my fat ass saw the beach drinking beers. <laughs> but I, then again, I, I've never, I mean, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but as much as I've seen Nick kind of yo-yo a bit with his weight in between fights, mm-hmm. Nate seems to be relatively at his, well, I guess when he walked in at 170, because when they asked him to come in at 155, he said, no way. And then they were arguing back and forth. Well, his argument like was, he goes, look, I'm, o- I'm only given 10 days notice, so why should yeah. I have to make weight? Which is a reasonable. Right. Yeah. Re- yeah. Reasonable. No time. training camp and making weight. That yeah, would yeah, exactly. Right. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. He, has to, he has to make weight in 10 days as well as prepare for a fight, a huge fight. Well, to my, I'm, I'm pretty sure the powers that be were kind of hoping for that. So therefore, the golden board would look really good that night because <laughs> that, that would have really put the odds in Connor, in Connor's favor. It had, you know, had, he agreed with that. It makes things exciting, though, when these kind of upsets happen. Exactly. Because if it's just the same thing happening, like if, if Connor went in there and starched him in 15 seconds, that wouldn't have been exciting. That would have been boring. But like, all oh, right, here we go again. Right. <laughs> now now it's like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen now when he goes back to 145 and fights, let's say, a, a Frankie Edgar, who's a really tenacious, tough dude. And then you start Ooh, thinking about you start thinking about a Nate and Robbie fight where it's just an all-out brawl. You know, yeah. there's a possibility you, you, of that now. You've got to think that, you know, this when, when that happens, I, I kind of get a sense that people are going to start smelling blood. You know, mm-hmm. I think psychologically that's yep. just going to change the way that people walk into that fight. If they right, think that right. it's just been submitted. Once someone's been beaten, you notice that other people beat that person. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. just like it's like it's like it's a Roger Bannister effect. Like you know, no one can do a four minute mile. Then he did it. Yeah, like, yes, exactly. I can do, a, yeah. I can do that. <laughs> you know, so yeah, man. And that's like I said, the blood is out there now. And here come all the sharks at this point. So yeah, and, 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 and Frank Edgar is a test for anyone. Oh that, yes, that guy has ridiculous energy and movement and he's he's a pretty hard puncher as well yeah. and he has a good ground game he's a great wrestler which is connor's weakness so yeah. frankie's probably thinking man i'm just gonna take him down over and over and, and over and pound and ground and pound and grind which him out what, which is what rda would have done too yeah smoke him out you know and then he's you know the cardio kicks in it's just like wow you wouldn't he wasn't ready for that type of grind and that's just that 
that that true wrestler's grind, a lot of folks are not ready for that. That is shown time and time again. A lot of times for a lot of folks, it's not an exciting fight, depending on who it is. But right. one thing about it, it's freaking effective. It's yeah, very right. effective. Nobody cares about that at that point. Like, you get your exciting fight once I get this belt, okay? <laughs> first things first. I mean, but, Cormier, uh, Cormier put that gut on Anthony Johnson and all of his body weight and- <laughs> I mean, it's like putting the moon on Anthony Johnson. Of course, of course, of course he got tired. I'm telling you, but uh, I mean, Mike and I, we, we text about this. I swear, though, if which I don't think he will there. I mean, but stranger things have happened. I don't think John will lose to Cormier, but God forbid, if Cormier oh. beats John, I'm done. I'm not watching anymore. I'm out. <laughs> I, come on, come on. I'm finished with the UFC. That's I, it. I, I am too, because I, I really, I really want to see John as champion again. Yeah. I want to see him and as champion again. And, what I, and I want to see the holy hell out of Cormier and shut him up. My gosh. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm so tired of that. It's a different type of arrogance, but the booze at the, <laughs> the booze at the weigh-ins, I mean, at, at the, um, the whole little unstoppable press conference right before the weigh-ins was hilarious. You know, Cormier's like, really? That makes a lot of sense. You're booing me. He's like, come on, man. He's like, here's a guy. He's like, you're going to boo me. And I've been sober. But, you know, now this guy's sober enough. You're booing. You're not going to boo him. And I don't understand that. That just make, doesn't make any sense. They, they, don't, they, sense. They, they boo him just because of the way he carries himself. You're carrying yourself. You're being so arrogant and saying all this stuff. But you never truly won the belt from the champ. That is why you get booed, buddy. Okay, <laughs> That is why. There's that interview that Joe Rogan did. I don't know if you saw the snippet during the UFC. Yeah, 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 yeah. That looks great. Them. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a bit kind of, you know, Hollywood, Hollywoodized. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, sure. But it's just I am generally looking forward to, to, to listening to them going back and forth because I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I'm confident. I mean, I, I think Me too. Um, Jones is going to walk in there and he looks strong. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't believe He, he was winning as a fuck up all this come on, time. Come on, he was, come yeah. on, he was high yeah. on top of that. Hold on, we're talking about his strength now. Don't forget, he picked Daniel and threw him like a little ladybug. The last yeah. time they met. Everybody okay. And he wasn't deadlifting 500 then. Okay. So let's keep yeah, that in 600. mind. It was 600. Yeah. yeah so let's, yeah, let's keep that Squatting 500, mind. deadlifting 600, you know, benching close to 400. <laughs> and, then, and then Daniel's going, somebody, yeah, he's posting his videos. That's all cool. But don't think that I'm not doing the same thing when I'm trying. I just don't post it. I'm like, yeah. oh, you would be posting it, buddy. <laughs> I'm looking <laughs> at you. were doing that. You'd be posting it every day. I'm looking at you and I'm going to go ahead and say no. <laughs> no, my brother. I, I'm not going to agree with you on that one. I don't see that happening. But when yeah, you've training when you've been training for a long time, and someone says, "Oh, I can do this," you can kind of look at them and know whether that's true or not. You know, it's it's like, no, no, you don't do that. <laughs> you know, a few you, times, a few times I've been surprised, but most of the time I'm like, no, 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 no. You're it's like, so you're not deadlifting 600, and your back looks like that. It's like you have no back development at all. You know, I'm not talking about Cormier here. I'm just talking about. Making like a general point yeah. it's like you have no back development at all like all the muscles that pop out when you when you've been working on deadlifts for years you, everyone has a certain look when you've been doing deadlifts for a long your time your traps are still flat like that you still look like <laughs> yeah, like a cheap clothes hanger like nah you know 600 i don't think so <laughs> yeah but uh, you know i gotta say there was this one tweet that i saw that somebody posted said um page sage ronda and connor talking about the ufc hype train has officially been destroyed so which which is a good thing, in my in my opinion. Instead of having all these poster children, well, I mean, all, all of those people win or lose are great for the sport. Yeah, you know, like 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 I like Connor. I think Connor's a good guy, and I, I like what he brings to the sport. It makes things exciting. It's not always going to work your way. That's the gamble you take. Exactly. When you're, when you're when you're that cocky and you lose, people are just going to be like, ah, I knew that was going to yeah. happen. And the good thing is, you know, now you're going to you're even more excited because you're going to see how do they come back from this. You know, and that's the reason why I think so many people are cheering for John's. Like, okay, now what? You know, you you went through all that madness, and you're coming back. You know, will you be the same? 
So he's at an age where he can make a comeback. Unlike Anderson, no, no, absolutely. Like, yeah, that was a little lackluster. You know, it's kind of like, well, what, you know, what did you expect? Yeah, he was kind of afraid to pull the trigger or whatever. It's like, come on, man. It's just like it's been a while since he's been back in, in the octagon here when he fought Bisping or whatever. So well, first, I, first of all, I thought Anderson won that fight. I thought that was a bad decision personally. And mm. I could see it going either way because. <laughs> Wait, I just hold on. I just heard Mark yeah. take a. Well, I mean, yeah, no, either Mark is fine. disagreeing with you, or Mark <laughs> very bad. No, no, no. I, I didn't think Anderson won decisively, but I thought I thought he did enough to win that fight. But I, but I, but I wouldn't. I wasn't like, oh my god, that's the worst decision ever. He didn't do enough in the fifth round to cinch it for sure. He he just left it in the hands of the judges, and then when you do that, you know, every, who knows what's going to happen? So for me, there's a few things, right? So first of all, I met. Michael Bisping, and all I will, I will just leave it at that—that that he wasn't the nicest person to me. Mm-hmm. So, so I wouldn't even have like an inclination to. <laughs> to Every, everyone who's met him has said that. Yeah, um, the the thing I will say this: what is what it's for me. What it came down to was the volume of strikes that I felt that Michael Bisping was putting on Silver. Yeah, felt more significant in terms of volume, but in terms of effectiveness and, and, and the sort of significant strike and the massive blows that Silver put on Bisping were more important. Yeah. And, you know, that second round, I thought Michael had a chance to put him out. And then I, I think that third round, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth arguments about that, about like the kind of the end of the third round and who was responsible for that and Bisping should have been paying attention. And I no, get that. That, that, know, was, I get that. That wasn't cool, though. But because, I mean, Bisping... Get. I mean, you yeah. could tell Bisping was distracted. He's pointing totally. at something. The, the ref should have jumped in there. Yeah. It was just and, weird... and if the ref doesn't, the other fighter should at least have yeah. enough have yeah. enough wherewithal to be like, okay, let sure. me back off a minute. Not not knee him in the head when he's looking at the floor yeah. at the That's judge. There's a, there's a camera angle. I don't know if you saw it. There's Herb Dean. Like, he looks at Herb Dean. Herb Dean stops walking towards him. Like He takes like two steps towards Bisping. So Bisping is kind of like leaning forward to get the gum shield. And that's when uh, Silver, sorry, throws his flying knee. And I don't know if, I don't know, there, there was less that kind of like, everybody got really excited about that. People were saying that he was out. Well, yeah, he, he looked pretty, pretty yeah, knocked out. That was but pretty I think, bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> he fell for him. Yeah. Oh my God, is it out? Because it sounds like it buzzed at the right, at the right time. Um, so I, I actually, you know what? I thought it could have gone either way. And I, I was, you know, when they gave it to Bisbee, I wasn't shocked. It wasn't like a... Yeah, I wasn't, wasn't shocked either. Yeah. It wasn't for me the same as when Lord of Thought... Um, uh, Condit. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I thought Condit won that. I did too. I, I thought Condit won I, I saw that, yeah. It, yeah, it, it must be tough for a fighter, though, when it's that close. Yeah. But I did feel Condit did, did enough in that fight overall to win. Yeah. And you're in England, you know? So, you know, you, you're also putting that, I don't know, maybe that affects the judge in some way. I don't know. Whether yeah, I was right. thinking that too. You know, you, you're going to have to beat Bisping in a bigger, devastating fashion than what. But at the same time, what I was look at look at the face. I mean, that was the insane thing. You look at Bisping's face at the end of the fight. Yeah, yeah, look, yeah. You know, look at Anderson Silva's fight, and he's just like he looks like he just walked out of you know the changing. We've seen we've seen that before. <laughs> you know, we've seen yeah, that before. True. I mean, there was a few times GSP's face looked like somebody just ran over it over and over and over with a bulldozer. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Hendrick. after Johnny Hendricks, yeah, Johnny Hendricks just yeah. looked like you're like, look, dude, I'm just gonna take your face. I'm gonna ram into a wall about 20 minutes straight. You good with that? Okay, cool. <laughs> well, that, that that was a bad decision as well. Yeah. And I, mm. felt, I thought. I mean, first of all, I bet on GSP that night, so I was happy he won, just, just, just from a personal perspective, but. I didn't think I was like, well, I was like, oh, well, there's more money down the drain. <laughs> GSP, I was like, sweet. <laughs> but I mean, come on now. 
Yeah, that was, you know, and then I, I, remember, I remember Hendrix saying to, to during the press conference, I, I didn't pull the trigger. And Dan White was like, well, you're a fucking idiot because, you know, you only had five rounds to finish that. You should have pulled the trigger. <laughs> well, I mean, a couple of times he had GSP wobbly in that fight and yeah. he, he's backed off. He didn't follow up. And again, look, I'm a guy on the couch watching this fight. So I'm not trying to sound like, <laughs> like you know, I'm not trying to sound like I'm some expert or, or I would do so much better if I were in there. I, you know, I, would, I would be done in the first like the first exchange. But like, well, Mike just went down. So we're going to go ahead and wrap that up. But here's the difference with how we're. How we're discussing this compared to all these armchair people is the fact that look man at the end of the day we're not sitting there taking punches to the face so we're not gonna sit there and say oh well so-and-so sucks he needs to retire now no, no, and exactly. that's those are the type of people to get on my nerves but on the flip side of that what also gets on my nerves is these flip-floppers you know yeah. like i had to bring up like while we we're watching the post uh, fight show and jay glazer was like kissing misha tate's ass talking about here's our favorite um bantamweight champion I'm like, dude, she's been champ for all of an hour. How is she your favorite? Tell me, this is all. And how are you speaking for the other four panelists when you say that? That kind of ticked me off. I'm like, come on, it's so much flip. You're like, you're like, look, Jay, that's Brian's job, so don't. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, that's Caraway's. That's that's. Let him do the ass kissing, okay? Come on. <laughs> but yeah, when he said that, I was like, really, dude? Did you just say that? <laughs> like, come on. Here's our favorite bantamweight champ. I'm like, okay, had that been Ronda. Then it'd been a different story, you know. Yeah, or yeah. if Holly won again, is like, oh, somebody, you know, now she's a true champion, which we always knew. Blah blah blah. I'm like, people just stand your freaking ground, man. It's okay. Just well, that, that was a great fight because the pressure was on Misha in the fifth round, right? And oh yeah, you, you know how many fights well, she I've watched. It. Well, you know how many you know how many fights I've watched where the last round I'm like. Why, why, why don't you just go for it? Because you're going to exactly. lose anyway, right? And no one ever does. And again, I'm just, I'm a guy on the couch watching this. So I'm not yeah. saying that I'm some expert on MMA psychology. But Misha actually went for it. Yeah. She, yeah. she took a risk. She was going to lose the fight anyway. Her corner gave her good advice to go, look, you're not going to win this fight unless you finish her. So you need to do something here. Especially oh, man, when you're fighting was, like the yeah, champ, man. If it's, even if it's a close fight and it's the champ, you really don't want to take that chance to leave it to the judge because no. nine times out of ten it's going to go to the champ. Yeah. I mean, we saw that kind of with Gustafson and Jones. It's kind of like that fight yes. could have gone either way, yes. but he's the champ, yeah. so they're not going. It's probably right. not going to be a draw. That's not right. going to happen, and you know, and they're probably rarely going to ever give it to the, the you know the challenger. So when you fight a champ, you just got to say, you know what, F it, here it goes. Yeah, and <laughs> I know that I met Gustafson. He's a nice guy. I mean, from, from he seems like he would be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. He was just a genuine nice guy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you were just saying I was actually on my feet and, and I was on my feet. I was just screaming. I was like, me to just like <laughs> take her down and choke her out. And I just kept on screaming. And that's the point where she kind of rolled over. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh yeah, my God. I, think, I think that flip over the shoulder. It's kind of like when she, when she grabbed her to flip her over her back. Yeah. For some reason, yeah. I had that flashback of Wyman doing that wheel, that, that kick. I was like, <laughs> yeah. no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. If she kept it. She kept it standing. She yeah. could have survived yeah, exactly. until the end of the round. She grabbed and her and got her to flip her over. I was like, no. It's just like, you just knew. I'm like, she's already on your neck and that's just going to tighten it more. I'm like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, well. But like I said, though, it's nice to see Misha take a risk and win rather than Holly's play it safe and win. Right, right. If that makes yeah. sense. Because yeah. it's, just, it's just not exciting. I mean, we've, we've kind of seen that before from that camp. We saw that with, Con, you know, Condit, you know, kind of just trying to play it safe, you know, a couple of times, and, you know, in the past. Yeah, against and, Nick Diaz. Yeah. yeah, and also Clay Guida, you know. So it seems like sometimes mm. that is the advice they get out of that camp sometimes in certain fights, you know, and it kind of, you know, which pisses Dana off. <laughs> you know, yeah. for a minute there, he was just hating well, that kid. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good lesson for Holly, too, because she's yeah. not going to make that mistake again. She's oh, a great God. athlete, yeah. smart girl, good camp. So next time she fights, whoever it is, she's not going to just try to win it, squeak out a decision. Yeah. Now, here comes the real I fun mean, I, part. I, I, oh, go ahead. I go thought, ahead. I, no, sorry. I, I, was, I was about to say, um, I thought Ronda Rousey would have been the first one to sort of 
kind she of was at a wrestling the match. She, apparently, she didn't, she, she didn't even look at the fight. I mean, she I was at a wrestling match. No, she was at oh, a, is that what it was? She was like at a, a, a uh, like an amateur version of WWE <laughs> wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, PW, yeah, yeah PWG or something, something like that. She didn't even care. You know, yeah. and it's funny because yeah, yeah. you know I heard like Mike Goldberg to my uh, wonder what Ronda Rousey's thinking right now. And I text Mike goes, I feel like Goldberg says wonder what Ronda Rousey's thinking right now. Sincere <laughs> says, who gives a fuck? Because here, look, man, you know the thing is, she's like, okay, doesn't she's she's fought both of them so you know why 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 even watch that right now she's got her own issues but here's the real question folks mm-hmm. now they made all those announcements at ufc unstoppable all these fights coming up all the way up to ufc 199 there was really nothing said for you ufc 200 so yeah. so my thing is, especially because you pretty much have all your champions fighting before ufc 200 i'm like what the so what kind of surprises can you what are we doing here for ufc 200 so i'm thinking you know i told mike this i said i'm thinking you know, now it can go one of two ways now with Misha with the belt. Okay, so do we see Misha versus Ronda at UFC 200? Because that'll give, you know, Misha enough time to rest, you know, between now and July. You know, everybody else, probably not so much, you know. So that could happen. Now, and then with that strange twist of events, you know, people think that Ronda may come back, and that could set up Ronda Holly 2 right on the anniversary of when Ronda lost the belt right around, you know, November. You know, that or... Just so Misha can say, throw another big F you to everybody, she wins. And there's, and it's Misha and Holly too, which is still good for business. Again, right again, it's going to happen again, probably right around the holidays at the end of the year. So mm-hmm. that could be, a, that, that's just my prediction. That could happen with that one out of all the stuff that's happened right now. And, you know, Connor could go ahead and defend his belt in UFC 200. That gives him enough time to rest. It could be him and it could be him in RDA or could it be him just fighting, hopefully, Frankie at 145. That would be. I, th- I think, I think it'll be at 145. I think he's lost that 155 chance for now. Yeah. yeah they're not, you know, they basically yeah, go back down to defend it. And well, they basically implied, yeah, Dana yeah. White basically implied that Connor should go back to 145, defend that, right. and work, work his way back to another yeah. chance yeah. to be a two belt holder. So, yeah. yeah. So there's two fights I can see, but uh, you still got a lot of you got to put together some good stuff. And I'm sorry. Don't go digging up old people. You know, like I'm seeing. Uh, was it? Um, is, who's Frank Mir fighting? I think coming up, man. Um, God. Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt. Yeah, yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Mark Hunt. So it's kind of like, ah, uh, yeah. these are not things you want to do for your UFC 200. Fight well, they, like that. They, they could always do Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie for and, <laughs> I, all, I'm ashamed that happened. Uh, in my, I'm ashamed uh, that happened in my city. <laughs> Houston is like, we couldn't have done better. And, and I was out of town when it happened. Thank goodness. Well, you also had Kimbo and Dada. That was even oh. more shameful. Gosh, man. I'm, <laughs> Who's that? I don't know if you listen to those. I think it was Joe Rogan. There was an interview someone about this around. It's just it's the worst that could happen to I think to MMA when you get that kind of fights put up. You know, it's just like why would you do that? I mean, I, I get know, it. Looks like, it looks like a tough man contest as yeah, opposed to a professional. No, event. Yeah. It's like an old yeah. man contest. Okay. No, I mean, I mean, Dada versus Kimbo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it looked like yeah, how they got started that backyard street stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, but nobody. Come on, no one really wants to see that. If I want to see that, you know what? I can go back. I can start going partying again and going back to the clubs and go waiting until 2 o'clock go in the morning in the parking lot and just wait. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and then I'll record and put it on YouTube. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was terrible. That was terrible, man. Mm. And the fact that Shamrock lost. I'm like, come on, man. So, but there's a hint. Stop yeah, that, was a, that was a controversial knee. I, you know, I don't know if you saw the fight, but it looked like a... I did not. Go to- <laughs> and I, wasn't it free? <laughs> and I still didn't see. It. Still yeah, it was. It looked like a low blow. Yeah. Shamrock was in trouble. 
Although he had a he had quite the delayed reaction to a low yeah. blow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, Usually yeah. when a low blow happens within seconds, oh, you're yeah. like, ah, that hurts, not minutes. <laughs> it seems like five minutes later he had, they're finally kicked in. <laughs> well, he's getting older, man. Maybe it takes a little time for the communication to happen down there. <laughs> I don't know, man. So. But when you look at some of these other events, you're going, UFC has nothing to worry about. <laughs> exactly. They're not, look, they're not save your money. You have to buy up any more organizations. Yeah, they're not sweating the competition, man. I can tell you that much. They're not sitting around in a boardroom <laughs> going, okay, what are we going to do to stay ahead of, <laughs> stay yeah, ahead of the competition out there? No, you don't. <laughs> do you remember that article that came out? I think it was a report. I forgot who did it. I I want to say it's, uh, it was a sports channel. You guys called it ESPN, was it? And then Dana White refused to see them. And they did a, an interview with um, Lorenzo Fidelio, was it? Yeah. And he basically talked about salaries. Do you remember this is like maybe five years ago? Something like that? And there was, like this, whole, there was this big thing about um, basically how much money they were making and how much they were actually paying the fighters. Mm. And, there was, and then it, it basically blew out of proportion and... Dana was really pissed off, and anyway, I mean, if you if you want to look it up, I think it's, <laughs> well, I think what, it's what they're making versus what they pay the fighters yeah. is definitely yeah, and that was proportionate, that's for sure. <laughs> it's not boxing, okay, <laughs> but it's not boxing, you know. And it's always that you know, I've, I think I've heard time and time again where he's trying to keep it, they want to keep it honest, where it's not like boxing or whatever. I'm like, uh, look, dude, when you if you factor in, yeah, of course, these guys know what they put on the line when they sign that contract, and they know what they do to their lives or whatever else. But when you factor in what these dudes are doing to themselves. In order to help you make that money. But again, I came from the music industry and I see that with record labels too. They do the same thing to mm-hmm. their artists. What, what, what they're doing in the UFC is no different than you're going to see at Sony Records or, you know, or MCA sure. or somebody like they do the same thing to their artists, which, you know, the only thing is now artists don't have to worry about getting a record deal, you know, with the internet and all that. Now with the fighters, different story. You know, you got to start thinking about other things, you know, along with being an athlete and then being a pro fighter. You right. start thinking outside that octagon, man. And, mm-hmm. and you do like BJ Penn. BJ doesn't have to come out of retirement ever. He was very smart with his business before mm-hmm. that. I mean, with his, with BJPenn.com and his endorsements and, and, and products and all this other stuff and the marketing, he was doing all that while he was still, even when he was in his prime. You know, he caught it then, not waiting till the end where you're pretty much like fading into oblivion with a lot of folks or just doing something right. like that. So it's just like he was very smart about that. And I'm just I don't understand how so many other fighters have not jumped on board with that and, and going beyond just think, well, when I'm not fighting, I'm going to coach at this yeah. gym or I'm going to open yeah. up a gym, which is going to put me even more in debt. OK, because sure. they're not charging that much for their members on a monthly basis. I mean, rarely is it ever over. Anywhere between 100 and 125, 120, 150 bucks a month for their memberships there. And so, but nine times out of 10, it's usually probably like about 100 bucks a month for most of their members on average. Just about almost every, every gym that I've seen that I've had experience with or, or even researched. And as far as their memberships, they're right around that price. Well, how can you stay afloat with that? If, okay, that would work if the gym was all you probably had and you had no other expenses, but you're still, you're a fighter. You got to pay coaches. You got to do training camps. You got to travel. You got to do all this stuff, man. And nine times out of 10, you might fight maybe once or twice a year. So you might get somewhere between five, 10 grand. You know, if you have a good agent, then if you got an agent, then you're probably not worrying about money. But if you do have a good agent, you'll probably get a little bit more than that. But after you pay all your expenses, you're kind of, you're happy, man, if you're keeping the lights on. So my thing is think beyond being just a coach and running a gym or something like that, man. It's just like, really, you got this Internet right here. Use it. Use it, yeah. man. Run with that. Use that. Use that popularity. You got their help. People even hate you. Use that. Be a jo- you know, be a Josh Koscheck. Use the hate, man, to put money in your pocket. You know, people one thing yeah. about it, people might boo you or whatever, but they love to hate you. And they'll 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 try to go and find wherever you are just so they can hate. 
Okay. Well, that's what that's what works for Connor, right? Fifty yeah. percent of the people tune in because they hate him, and fifty yeah. percent tune in because they love him. Yep. Half the people want to see him win. Everyone else wants to be there when he loses. You know? Yeah. But and, they're and there. He, and he, but and they're he, all there. And he and he accepts that. You know. Same thing can be said about Ronda, but you know, just kind of like you know, you have some people who say like they don't care about the haters or whatever, but you can tell it affects them. Then there's one who don't care about the haters, kind of like Connor, because he's like, yeah, I like the haters because it keeps me paid by you hating me. He he understands he understands the game. So. But at the end of the day, I just like I said, I don't think like with all this technology out there, you know, these athletes can really think beyond just fighting because this won't last forever. Same thing goes for any other athletes. I mean, yeah, every you're talking athlete. about the NFL, NBA, whatever, you know, just yeah. really start thinking I mean, beyond the sport. Well, I mean, it's hard to think about all that when you're immersed fully in your professional career and, and, and you're right. young. So you're just not thinking ahead like that, unfortunately. So it's, uh, it's, it's good it to have good people you, in your corner, though. You yeah, know, exactly. It behooves like, you to have people around you that can mentor you on that. You know, or have, having yes. a good spouse, you know, like, you know what, baby, you go get your ass kicked, you know, in training every day. I will handle this stuff. And then, you know, hey, when you got a break, we'll discuss, you know, this is what's going on. I'll keep your breast and blah, 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 or what's going on with that. So. And I just wanted to, to build, to build up on that, Sensei, because I thought, there's a thing that's happening, you know, over here, especially in rugby. So yeah. the, the big sport around in, in Europe is football, as in, you know, the original football, because it's a foot and a, and a ball. We're not going to get football. into that. <laughs> um, and, and rugby. And, and the big thing that actually I see, because I've, I've been interacting with a bunch of professional rugby players, and, and you can see this across all the sports. On one side, there's, a, there's something that happens when athletes retire, either because of an injury or because it comes at the end of their, their sort of natural progression in their career. There's a huge... Um, dip in the sort of mental health around especially their identity yeah. mm. and they lose that and, and there's yeah. a lot of depression that's being um, that's not being talked about that we brush underneath the rug around these men who who are meant to be these kind of elite athletes who then suddenly no longer find their i guess their identity in what they do and like they go from being a superstar from one day to the next day being nobody right. they haven't figured out what they're meant to do they have no one's come up with a plan for them to say basically look mate you basically got at best two years in front of you. What have you set up in place to help you to sort of transition out of this and use your money wisely to invest in something that's going to help you, not just the gym, as you said. And the, and the other thing is a big thing that's being discussed at the moment is, is concussions and brain damage. Yes. And I think, you know, there's, I think it's Brendan Schraub that actually talks about this quite openly. Mm -hmm. He says, we just do not have enough data today to look back and go like, okay, look at MMA. This is the damage and the impact that it's having on, on, on athletes. And this is what we need to sort of be talking about. Um, and I think for me, this is actually one of the big areas that I focus on and, and I give you know, talks and, and stuff around, which is m sort of the mental health um, wellness. And I think mm -hmm. this is something that I'd love to see a bit more we address and we talk about, you know, what what's going on for fighters when they step out of the ring, you know, right. and, and their life after that. And yeah, so it's just something I want to bring up because I think it's it's really important to sort of uh, put the finger on it. Yeah, well, let's funny. let's use that to tie yeah, into let's, what let's you do, that. Mark, because you do coaching and you've written. Let, let's talk about your book first. It's not you, it's me. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, you, had a bad, you had a bad relationship experience here? Or, you know? <laughs> it was the first thing in my mind, like, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, no, well, it's funny you say that because actually the title came because what I realized is when people work in, in toxic jobs, and, and Mike, um, I know for a fact that you'll, you'll probably relate to this, you know, when people work in jobs, they often find themselves in, in, in something that they just hate or that just doesn't bring them any fulfillment, whatever you have. Right. And, they, and it's a very similar state actually than being in a relationship and some people stay in relationships even though they know they should get the fuck out of it but they just stay for whatever reason and what's one of the most cliche things you say when you break up to someone it's like listen baby it's not you it's me 
I just, you know, <laughs> just, I've just changed. I'm like, nah, um, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know it's not me. You know? like it's, it's you. Just, <laughs> you just don't do it to me anymore. You know? And I think that's, that's really where the title came from. So it came from like, it was kind of a part of my journey and part some, some of the stuff I kept on telling my friends and clients around, like, look, if you're just in a job that you hate, it's okay. Like there's, there's some things that you can do and it's basically, it's time for you to break up with your job. And, and here's what I think you, you can do to sort of go about it. So that title really came down to sort of playing, playing with the idea of the metaphor that, um, I called it corporate adultery. You know, when you start looking out for a different job and you feel like you're cheating on someone because you're basically doing the same things, like you're deleting your emails. Like when you, when you get a phone call, you get up, you're like, it's my wife. If you go outside and you, yeah, you, have, you, have, you have a burner, you have a burner phone for it. <laughs> you know, and like you come dressed nicely at the office and he's like, what the fuck are you going to sue? And it's like, oh, but just, I, I lost, lost a pair with a friend. And you're actually going to the job interview, like take like days off to say you're going to the holidays, but you're actually going for a job. And you know, and I, so it's, this, this whole kind of joke around, you know, we, we've got to stop looking at our jobs as relationships because it's just business. And, you know, the ultimately the only thing that's important is the relationship to yourself. No, no doubt about it. So how did you quit? How did you, you, had, you were doing jobs that were not fulfilling. So how did you make the transition into what you're doing now? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a long story, but the, the, the short version is that basically I was um, I came from a corporate background and I was setting overpriced advertising spaces in like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times um, etc. And I just, I was just hating it. And I was living, I was like in my early twenties, it was ridiculous. Like this company was paying for like to have a driver. I had a huge flat with like a telescopic staircase that was opening up to a rooftop in Cyprus. I had like a team. So I was supposed to be living the dream, you know, like my parents came and they come from like a humble background and they were like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And I was like, actually, I hate it. You know, I want to leave. <laughs> yeah. and they're like, what? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, look, you've got like a, a remote control for your staircase to come down from the roof. <laughs> And it was just, it was just really, really crap. And so basically I just took, took the decision. I quit. I started up a business. I ended up working for another company where I was advising consultants and, um, and CEOs and so forth at a business school. And then I just thought, you know what? Fuck this. Why am I doing this? Life's too short. And I did a video CV. Um, and you can check it out. I think it's, it's called like best video CV ever or something stupid like that on, on YouTube. <laughs> um, and, and that's it. And hey, keep in mind that this is back in 2011. This is when no one was really making video CVs. Everybody right. thought I was an idiot. Yeah. Everybody's saying like, you're going to look like, like a douchebag and people are going to think you're like, you're a bum. And it worked. I mean, I, I basically got, um, it's been viewed over a hundred thousand times now and it was kind oh, of that's great. Time. Yeah, yeah. And I ended up talking with Adam Garoni, who's the CEO and co-founder of the Movember Foundation. The, the world's largest yeah, yeah. mental health organization. Yeah. And so yeah. basically they gave me a job as country, country manager where I helped uh, sort of launch and develop the foundation across European countries. So I did that for four years and I raised 2.8 million euros for, for men's health. And that, that's great. That, yeah. That's been like, it was an amazing journey of basically getting men to open up to talk about their health, you know, prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health issues and physical inactivity. And from the back of that, I basically uh, wrote a book. I launched a podcast. Uh, started a YouTube channel and then been working with organizations and clients around, around that, just that kind of like stepping up and just having fun, you know, like we just spend so much time sort of hating our lives, you know, that we just, we just got to take it a bit easy and open up. And, and I, I guess, yeah, courage, vulnerability and leadership are the three things I talk a lot about. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Yeah. So I, I do, I do a bit of consulting for the foundation still as, as I transition out and they, and they hope they find someone new basically. And um, I'm focused. <laughs> you know, this is probably the unproductive part, but I'm focusing a lot of time doing a lot of content. So I've been writing blogs, I've been putting podcasts out, and I've been doing giving out YouTube's. And actually, what I what I want to be doing now is I want to deliver workshops for NGOs and charities 
because I think there's a big, big gap um, in sort of the leadership training of middle management and executives in the charity sector, just because they don't have that many big budgets. Um, and yeah, that's that's the kind of where I'm focusing at and um, getting getting conversations out there about uh, mental health. Yeah, you know, mental health is one of those things that seems that people don't take it seriously at all in terms of not talking about it. Because I my, my theory is that most people are depressed on some level or not. Mm. But no one wants to no one wants to talk about it. It's like there's this old Sufi story about there was this village where everyone started drinking out of this well and they all went mad and there was one guy left and he eventually caved because he goes, Man, I'd rather just be mad like everyone else than be alone and be clear and no reality. <laughs> and had I think a lot of people are like that, too. They go, well, no one else seems like depressed. They're all smiling, walking around happy. So I guess it's just me. So let me just let me just put on a front like what everyone else is doing. But when you see the amount of people at bars every Friday, you see the amount of people drinking, doing a lot of unhealthy things. You just these are not behaviors that indicate real mental health at all. Yeah, no, I mean, so spot on, and especially among men. So I, I, I work a lot with men. And I think there's something somewhere that we've just bought into the narrative that men, you know, opening up about what's going on for you equals weakness, you know, and, and right, this right. expression man up. And I know, I know we kind of joke about it and, you know, there's, a, but I think this, this thing about manning up has, has led a generation of men to believe that, um, you know, dep- I mean, if you look at the statistics, one man kills himself every minute around mm. the world and, and out of four suicides, three quarters are men. And these are just numbers that are, it's just plain stupid. It's the biggest killer amongst men under 40 and it's, you know, well, I, people have saying, a lot of misconceptions about depression. Yeah, too. Some, yeah totally, sometimes totally. people look at depression relation relating to circumstances. So if you live in a nice home, you have a nice car, mm. you have a good family, and all they're like, oh, you can't pause. There's no reason sure. for you to be there's no reason for you to be depressed, yet you still are for some reason. And that's yeah. the problem. And well, that's what you need to address. And somebody, even on yeah. that note, you don't know exactly what's what it's taken to put on that show. You know, of having mm. that nice home, that nice right, car, right. that and that ideal quote unquote family. You don't know what's going on inside that house. And that's the thing about it. So right. it's really easy for people to talk about things they don't know, or what they try to do is make it seem like their problems are bigger than that person's. Like, well, I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here in a <laughs> flat, you know, sitting here where it's like it's ten of us here and you know, I'm barely making ends meet. So you have no idea. So how dare you talk about depression? I if anyone should be depressed, I should be depressed. But the thing is that person may be more hardwired to deal with their feelings and deal with stress because of where they came from. They may have come from an environment where they pretty much they're used to like really having like next to nothing and making do with what they have and being resourceful with that and not trying to go be live beyond their means because they were never in a situation where they could live beyond their means. So they should be a little more empathetic to someone who actually, okay, let's just say someone does look like they have everything. But the thing is, you got to sit there and think about it. There's, they, you're pretty much both are probably sharing the same type of stresses that are going on because you're the head of the household. You're trying to keep the family together, and you don't want to see anybody in your family suffering. Your kids, your wife, or whatever else. And the wife's probably on your ass, like, look, things are getting cut off. Or the other one, the the rich guy is more like, she's like, look, I don't want to lose this lifestyle. What are you going to do about it? You wanted me to be a stay-at-home <laughs> mom. You won't let me. You know, you didn't want me to work. So it, you said you're going to take care of everything. You're not taking care of it. Take care of it. So you're both getting the same thing. Things, you know, mm. in different situations. So and, and and you both probably been taught just deal with it, handle it and don't whine about it. Don't cry about it. Just fucking do it. And that's yeah. where that whole thing. Just be a man because you're the head of the household. Man up and do that. But a lot of times man up becomes more like bottle up. 
And that's what yeah, happens. Right. They start that. balling yeah. up everything. And then one day they freaking <laughs> explode and it goes into this bad behavior. They either yeah. become an abusive husband or emotionally or physically, or they go out and do abusive things to themselves, like going out, like Michael yeah. saying, you're going out getting shit faced every weekend. You're at the strip club, you're experiment right now. Every week, look, you know, financing some girl's <laughs> college career, you know, every Friday night yeah. at, the, at the strip club and, you know, taking care of another family that you, you'll never see her and her babies. <laughs> so, so you become a sponsor. Okay. So. You got all these other There's things. A, oh yeah, you're you're polygamist and you don't even know it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, five families you're supporting out there. You know. So we got peaches. You, I mean, you got you know, you got her family. You know, cinnamon's family. You got all these flavors family that you don't even know about, man. Yeah, like there's a great. There's a. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. No, sorry. There's a quote that I want to share that my girlfriend told me yesterday, which is, "Anger is the bodyguard of pain," and I think, or the ang- mm-hmm. I probably bottled that one is like, "Anger is pain's bodyguard." Right. And, and it's, it's interesting because when you see people behaving that way, like either through toxic or like because they're, they're being physically abusive or they drink or they take drugs or they eat their emotions, whatever it is. Yeah. Often it's just, un, it's something that's being, you know, not being addressed. And I think for me, it's one of, the, one of these kind of, um, what I love to see more is opening up this conversation. And I'm not talking about like doing it like in a heavy kind of really, therapist you know, situation. yeah, therapist way. No, no, no. I'm just talking like, I actually find that I get a bunch of mates. We might go for like a workout. So I, I train, um, in kind of a, a bunch of, um, I guess, MMA, prison jiu-jitsu, boxing, and, and that kind of stuff. And I just find that just getting guys who are, don't at all train in, in any kind of fight, but you get them out, get a few pads, get get some boxing gloves on them, get get a sweat, and then then for some reason, guys just open up a bit more. You know, you've just had a good workout, you just sit around, you know, you're having like a shake or whatever, and you just start talk, talking, and it's incredible to see just once people start realizing that, wait a minute, you, you, you also have these doubts, exactly. like you also have these body shame issues, like you also think, you know, and then you get that conversation going and it's suddenly like, wow, like a problem shared is like a problem halved, you know, it's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. I just want, yeah, I would just love that anybody listening just to know that call your mate, like going, going out, you know, maybe for, for a beer, if that's what you do, but if, you know, go out, have a walk, um, go for a workout, whatever, and just, just check in with your mate, just see like, Hey, how you doing? You know, like how you really doing? Not the kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good, man. And then, you know, go back home and cry. And yeah. Most of, most of us do canned responses there. How you doing? Great. How you doing? Great. It's like, okay, good. Now we can keep going on our way. (laughs) Yeah. And sincerely on, they actually, someone starts talking. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't didn't sign up for all of that when I asked how you were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they actually say, say, hi, how are you? They say, um, they say, how's your body? Which means, how is your body? And then if, if you can say, body fine, which basically, if you feel good in your body, then you say, body fine. So it's like this question of like, instead of saying, how are you doing? How's your body? Yeah, see, I go walking up to Hold on. I don't know about over in the UK, but you know what I mean? If I walk up to a dude somewhere in Houston, I'll say, how's your body? (laughs) I can guarantee you mine will probably end up on the ground. Hey, man, have you examined your balls recently? So all like, you got to do is just like, rub them like, a little bit, man, and check for love. It's like, no, and you're not going to examine them either. Why are you worried about my balls, man? What's wrong with you? <laughs> you guys are laughing, but when I joined the Momenda Foundation, it's basically the foundation that gets men to grow a mustache for 30 days during, during November to raise yeah, men's health yeah, issues. Right, right. Yeah, so, so when, if you told me like five, six years ago that I'd spend the rest of my time basically talking about facial hair and balls all day long, <laughs> I probably would believe you. Um, but it is, it's, it's just right there like the with you, man, because the first time I, you know, first time I heard about that, 
probably about a year or so, probably probably about a year or so before my father passed from prostate cancer. So first thing I saw, I was like, I was like, I ain't cut, I'll never cut my mustache or any facial hair and walk around looking like a Simpsons character, you know. But then my my father passed away from from prostate cancer, man. And in that same year, you know, I ended up doing it, man. And yes, I still look like a Simpsons character, but it was for a good cause, you know. That was the thing yeah. about it. And, and and actually, for all my followers, they even, even they did it. Like, oh man, you know, I thought about that before, but I saw that you did it. Now I'm gonna do it, man. And you know, yeah. And next thing you know, you have these stories where they had they lost their father prostate cancer or an uncle or someone like that. Yeah. So it became what you just talked about from this one little thing, just me posting a picture of doing it, started this conversation. And then there was this little moment of vulnerability to all these guys, these tough dudes that normally in the fitness field, lifting all this weight or whatever, you know, all got this one common fear is fucking cancer. You know, I don't care who you are, man. You can be freaking, you can be Superman here. And trust me, if Jorel or his dad had cancer, Superman would have been a weak little punk too. You know, as far as people would have understood, you know, him, because he thinks Superman always invincible, but I'm sure, you know, he would have had a moment of vulnerability, had his, father or whatever else had cancer something like that because that that's that's that one universal thing amongst all of us man i don't care who you are where it breaks you down it makes and it really makes you think about your mortality no matter what because it comes in so many different forms you know a lot of times heart disease is heart disease it is heart disease you know it's coming it's one for the heart but what cancer is like it got all these different ways that it can it come at you prostate you know cervical you know thyroid you, and all these different ways man so it's just kind of it's coming at you from all it's almost like you're getting jumped by a gang you're one dude in the alley and cancer's yeah. got like 15 or 20 you can people. do about it yeah and you're like what are you gonna do how do you defend yourself against 20 people coming at you at once and that's what right. cancer feels like to a lot of people man so, and, yeah. I, and I'll tell you what, and I, and I, and I just just wanted to sort of the fascinating thing that I've, that I've seen, and I, so I guess I've spoken to a lot of doctors, patients, cancer survivors, families of cancer survivors, and people who've lost people with cancer. And one of the most fascinating things I found is that actually, when people are told that they have one type of cancer or, or another, one thing that makes a significant difference is is the sort of outlook that they have on on their possibilities of survival and getting better. Mm. Like the actual yeah. positive, the actual, they actually met, doctors say they they don't really know why they can't really explain it, but there, there's a massive impact of an individual actually going, okay, I'm I'm going to get through this, I'm going to fight this, versus the guy who's like, well, I'm done, I'm dead. And usually, what they see is that the the fight or the progression of the disease definitely slows down for an individual that's like positive, healthy outlook. Like, okay, I'm going to keep like a like a healthy mindset out of this, and the guy who basically gives up. It significantly goes faster. So it's just I don't know. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And cancer strives on inflammation, programs. you know, and that, you know, and that it needs that negative atmosphere. It needs that inflammation. It, it it needs to feed off of that. So when you're stressed out and you're already thinking like, okay, I'm giving up, and you start in your mind start trying to prepare yourself to let go and, and shut down, then the body's going to be like, well, that's what, that's how you feel. And that's how you think. And then we're going to go right. with that, that's you know, right. and next thing you know, cancer's like, hell yeah, feed me more. Give me that. <laughs> and it just makes it a lot easier. But when you say yeah, everything cancer. starts with your brain, right? When you yeah. give up, it's your brain telling you to give up first. Yeah. It's not like, it's not yeah. like your body gave up and then your brain goes, okay, let's stop. Exactly. Yeah. Brain and, said, let's and give up. I want to share one, one, one last story. And I know that this, this may, may not be relevant, but I know that we all share a common interest in, in, in I guess, nutrition and, um, one of my mom's, my mom's best friend, Pauline, when she would tell, when she was told she had terminal cancer, they told her basically, you've got, we're giving you between four to six months, um, you know, if, if, if at best. And she basically started looking into all these, you know, alternative mm-hmm. therapies and neurotherapy and all this kind of stuff. And she basically came across articles around plant-based diet and, and vegan diet and so forth. So she basically from one day to the next ditched meat and adopted a plant-based diet. She went on to live six years. And I'm not saying it's just down to the nutrition, but she always used to say before before she passed, she, she always used to say that 
changing her diet and her lifestyle and her approach significantly gave her a, a better quality of life for, yeah. for the rest yeah. of the life that she had. Well, well, just the fact that she even looked into it, and mm. that's a proactive right. step, right? Exactly. She goes, okay, yeah. I'm going to research this. I'm going to take charge of it. And then no doubt the diet helped, but just the positive, proactive sure. steps that, that definitely active helped. Active self-defense going on right there. You know, yeah. To my, are you, it increases, it gives you more opportunity and more, it increases your chances of survival compared to just like giving up and just letting it have, you know, just right. being at the mercy of the cancer. Like, well, cancer, you win. Okay. So. Well, it's like, it's like any problem in life, right? You yeah. have a problem, you can sit around and dwell on it all day long, yeah. or you start going, okay, let's put together an action plan yeah. and start mm. solving this. Just, just the act of putting together a plan to resolve it is empowering in and of itself. And, and yeah. look what that does probably just to you internally when you just sit there and you, as far as your energy levels as well, when you, you're sitting there, you're putting a plan in place, you're so busy, man, and all those, I'm sure dopamine, everything's all fired up at that point. When you're like that, man, and right, your no brain, your brain is charged up. So it's really making it very hard for cancer to thrive when that's going on. It's just like mm. there's so many like positive electrons, you know, and everything is working like that. It's just like, well, damn. OK, we should have rethought this person right here. This, this is not going to be easy to take them out. You know, yeah, and, before so. I be, and before I get like hate tweets, I'm not saying that positive, <laughs> positive thinking is going to cure cancer in any kind of way. Yeah, yeah, of course not. What, right, I, of course. what, I, what I am saying is I just I just think that, you know, we can we can all do maybe a, a bit of a better job at sort of opening up and, and just, you know, being real and having and having yeah. some conversation with your mates. Yeah, definitely. So and then, that's why it's very good to, to choose your people wisely, because, you know, yeah. a lot of times you have those people like, nah, man, I don't know about all that, man. To my change, you know what? You just need to go and do your chemo, man. You need to get your affairs. <laughs> you know, right. it was like, yes. OK, get your affairs in order. But at the same time, don't just stop there. Like, oh, you know, but, you know, statistics show, man, you know, you can't make it from this. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, dude. <laughs> oh, I'm going to pray well, for I th- you. I think the hard decision <laughs> for people to make in that case is yeah. if it's really terminal, do you want to waste time researching anything rather than just going out there and doing whatever you want to do with the time and you money have money as well and money? Yeah. Then you're thinking like, okay, if it's terminal, I got to make sure there's going to be some money. This, this is already costing us a lot of money anyway, just treatment up until this point and operations or whatnot. So I want to make sure that my family's not going to be in debt and broke, you know. And so doing all this research and traveling and meeting these doctors and, you know, doing all these other different, you know, therapies or whatever else is going to cost even more money on top of the treatment I'm currently doing. So do I want to put my family in that much more debt for me just trying to buy another year, you know, or another six months? So that becomes an issue as well, man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's why Breaking Bad started, right? Yeah. Yeah, those those are really tough scenarios to deal with. There's really no right answer. Yeah, exactly. And and, you know, it's just you know, it's it's this thing that you get to sort of get get to sort of see over and over again. And and actually, I've I've talked about this with you, Mike, before, but I'm I'm kind of in the middle of writing a book called uh, "Real Men Eat Plants," and it's kind of a bit of a satire between um, you know the link between masculinity and the size of the vegetable on a plate. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> and one of the things I'm kind of, uh, you know, that you kind of talk about when we sort of go through this is actually just the kind of um, the positive outlook. You're like, you're like, hey, man, why are you eating so many cucumbers? <laughs> no, I know you put 10 of those big carrots in the juicer every morning. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> that should be like there should be like a diet fad of like you only like phallic. <laughs> that, that was like a really nope. interesting uh, diet that might go well down. So. It's like, man, I see you eating a lot of tomatoes. What's that all about? <laughs> you always chop them in half and eat them. <laughs> well, I'm over. I'm over eating this big bag of peaches. So, uh. 
<laughs> with a cherry shake. Okay. So. Sincere always makes sure to cut them in half, too. <laughs> Some of them are a little too big, man. <laughs> well, that sounds cool. Are you working on that now, or is that something that's almost done? Yeah, no, no. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, I guess I'm about 60% there. That's um, cool. Yeah, yeah, no, so I basically have done since then. I've actually done the, you know, the Cornell University plant-based nutrition course. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, which is which is it's just blown my mind. That's the China Study Guys course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it, Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just really blown my mind in terms of, um, yeah, and, and I'm doing another side project, and I think we talked about this on the podcast, which is um, I'm doing a, I want to do a documentary which I'll be crowdfunding called "Can Vegans Save the World?" <laughs> it's right. basically it started off because. Um, so when I went on plant-based diet, a lot of my friends were making fun of me and I kind of, you know, I did come across a, a certain type of stereotype of people who were, were like on, on a vegan diet. And when I started looking at like cowspiracy and all these kind of different documentaries and, and yeah. God, I, I, so many of these documentaries, one thing that came super clear to me that it's like, it doesn't matter what your culinary inclination is or what your dietary kind of orientation is. There's something happening and we are all fucked if we don't pay attention to it. You know, it's like you, no you just... Look at just pure pure numbers right now. I'll just drop these very quickly. And you can check all these on the Carispiracy website. This is where I got them from. So there's 7.4 billion people living on this planet today, right? And just mm-hmm. to give you in perspective, 1959, there were 3 billion people. So yeah. we've mm-hmm. doubled in less than 60 years. Yeah, and then there's crazy. a projection. Yeah, projection is 2040, there'll be 9 billion people. And by 2050, there's 11 billion people predicted yeah. to be on this. Now, look at then... The livestock, right? So cows, pigs, chickens, etc. They take 45% of land mass in the world. 45%. So yeah. I don't care what you think. Look at the numbers. If there's 7.4 billion people and there's 45% of the land mass is taken by livestock, calculate, do the, du- do the duplications. And there is no way we can, we can sustain that amount of food for the population that's about to come. So you've got to find yeah. an alternative. So this documentary is all about that, basically, sort of looking into are vegans going to be the future of humanity and they're actually going to be the ones saving us. So instead of making fun of them, we should maybe listen to them. I mean, on so, so that, you got like 2048 where they're saying that, you know, pretty much there's not going to be any fish left in the ocean by 2048. That's right around the corner, man. So yeah. so here's the thing. Well, I mean, if all the animals happens, are taking so up all the land mass, some of us better learn how to start swimming because since there won't be any fish in the ocean, <laughs> we're, our ass is going to have to start living in the damn water. <laughs> you know? I mean, the ocean, the ocean is an ecosystem where it's important to have actual living beings in there. Yeah. So if all the fish are wiped out, that's a it's huge wrapped. problem that has catastrophic Consequences. All these different things between, the you know, all the fish gone, the bees gone. It's like fucked, fucked, and more fucked, <laughs> you know. But the thing is, I think a lot of times we just get in that trap of thinking. And hell, even if you just cut back, just cut back on on one meat based meal or whatever, that makes a big difference right there. I think where we get in that trap is that we're this highest this highest form of intelligence who comes up with all this technology, and we think that we're going to come up with something that's going to save us and we don't have to worry about any of that stuff now because yeah, by the end there's going to be something yeah. that's going to protect us and you know what don't worry about it because they're working on stuff right now okay that's a big if that's a big gamble <laughs> you know it's a very big gamble especially while you've got these numbers of things that are happening right now and they're they're not estimates it's like well currently right now this is what's going on so you need to be more paying more attention to those numbers than the what-ifs that could happen 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line. Well, we keep getting stupid advice, too, such as, oh, take shorter showers. Which is <laughs> <You> so <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like that's going to make it. That, that's good. That's what's going to make the big difference. There's more water used on that steak that you're eating right now than nice. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of water is the size of a 
battleship carrier or something something ridiculous like that per cow you know over the life the, the amount of water it has to be used yeah. to get that cow to a meat on a plate so yeah. it's 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 ridiculous man it's just like the the things that i mean there's so many big organizations lobbyists and so forth mm-hmm. that influence people's behavior so that's why water control companies will give bad advice like this i mean they show that in that cowspiracy movie as well yeah. you kept on bringing up well what about animal agriculture yeah, like oh we can't really yeah. talk about that i know <laughs> turn the camera off <laughs> <laughs> it's, totally, it's totally nuts and is there something that you just said which i think is really interesting is is actually my, my girlfriend studies psychology and there's there's actually a thing you know in a in a group environment when when there's some either uh, someone gets attacked or someone starts screaming there's 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 an actual cause and effect of when people look around and think that someone else is going to do it and they just paralyze you know and and i think what you just said since it really is actually the same thing it's like we're all there going like well it's getting fucked around here but someone's gonna step up and do something someone smart out there working on it yeah yeah someone Someone will figure it out because there's there's someone out there smarter than i am that can figure it out and and it comes down what can i do themselves for to the furthest end to avoid any change or right. they doubt themselves because they'll sit no, there and say, what can I do? Well, well, I hear you guys, what you're saying, but what can I do? I mean, I'm yeah. just this dude over here working. Yeah. You know, I'm working every, eight, eight to five every day. And, you know, I don't have any money. You know, I didn't get a college education or whatever. So I don't have these big brains like all these guys who are running all this stuff and doing. Well, you, you could you could kill yourself, dude. That would help. <laughs> to my, to my, population, to my, <laughs> population control, Mike. <laughs> what's, 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 <laughs> I, I think a lot of the, the stuff that people are eating right now is already doing a great job of that. So well, yeah, they're, they're already killing themselves. Yeah, so exactly. it's just a are, long, prolonged suicide attempt. People are committing suicide, not even realizing it. When you right. look at people, I mean, I, mean, I look at people's shopping carts, and most of the time, there's not one thing in there that I would eat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because there's not a thing in there that I consider food. I was about it's to say it's not. I was about to say the exact same thing. Like that's not it's just food, crap. It's like, it's like that's not even that's. Oral entertainment, <laughs> and not the fun kind, right? Yeah, I know much better ways of getting oral entertainment. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's actually um, a book I recommend you guys can read uh, if you read if, you, if the listeners wants to read this. It's called The Pleasure Trap. Then if you guys have yeah, yeah, heard yeah. about it already, I've yeah, about that. Yeah. By Douglas Lyle. You can actually check out. I think he did a TEDx Fremont talk or something. You can just type okay, in cool. Pleasure Trap TEDx or something. You'll find it. But what's what's amazing is actually you find out that just we predisposed, but we basically built to avoid change at all cost. Right. And the only yeah. thing we want to do is just survival and conservation of energy. I mean yeah. that's that's pretty much it, right? So yeah. it's like as soon as you start telling people, and look, I'll use my dad as an example. You'll probably fucking hate me for telling you this, but my dad's had a couple of strokes in less than three years. Diabetic, high cholesterol, doesn't do any exercise, hasn't got the healthiest of diets, and it's insane. It's like it doesn't matter the information that I that I provide him or the conversation we have. He, it's just really difficult. You know, he finds it very difficult to change his habits and so yeah. forth. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that needs to also be looked at, which is, I don't know about you guys, but when I saw The Unconvenient Truth, I walked out of there going, well, we're all fucked. But then I thought, what can I do? <laughs> like, what can I do? Like, you know, great. Thanks for telling me that we're all screwed. But what, what can we do about it? Right. And I think that's what we need to do a bit more about. Like, we can bring awareness around what the problem is. And I think through this documentary I'm trying to do, I'm trying to make it a bit more humorous, a bit more fun, and actually to people to say, okay, wow, so if I actually decide to eat only vegetables today, then then maybe that can help a bit. doesn't mean to, like, give it all up, but I think that would make a huge difference already. Yeah, two like two yeah. things with that. You know, even in that stuff, like, you know, wanting to just commit to, like, oh, I just want to eat vegetables today. And there's always going to – first thing you have to do is turn off your TV when you make that that decision because <laughs> that TV, that commercial is going to come on and tell you, my, tell you that – you know, you need to eat meat 
or you yeah. need to, you know, you need to go get this value meal and feed your family. Tell my Tyson's feeding you like family, you know, so they're using all these key words and things like that. And they're, they're hitting you emotionally. And then you're thinking you're being selfish because all you want to do is eat vegetables that day. But Tyson's feeding you like family. So why wouldn't you want to feed your family with Tyson when instead of sitting there <laughs> thinking about yourself and your damn vegetables, you know, so you start having these <laughs> conflicts right there. And then you start every commercial, every commercial is playing upon your insecurities over and over and over with how you eat, how much money you make, why you're not driving this. Why does your girl look like that? Why does your man look like this? And you're just constantly, constantly, constantly. So first thing you got to do is turn off your damn TV until you're mentally equipped to realize that, okay, when you or see you a commercial get, like this is get, bullshit. Get Roku, get Hulu, upgrade to the so you know, $4.99 you a month no plan commercials. with no commercials. <laughs> exactly. I, haven't seen a, I haven't seen a commercial, in, I mean, besides YouTube, but actually watching TV. It's amazing what a difference that makes. Oh, yeah. In yeah. terms of just yeah. also, also, enjoy, also enjoyment. Because yeah, you're like, yeah, I, hate, I hate watching a show on. and there's commercials like, really? every five minutes. <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah, like I said, I think that is like, um, one of the, the biggest things, right? That you gotta turn that TV off, man, and, uh, and let that be your first move. And I forgot what my second point was because those commercials. Well, you're, you're, you already, you already lost a lot of people just on that advice. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the average person watches four hours a day and that's the average. So, I mean, there, there's people out there who watch eight or more. So you, you, right, right at the whole turn the TV off. They're like, well, shit, what am I supposed to do then? You know? If they're watching four hours of TV, like what's sad is that that's going to be about 80 minutes of commercials. Yeah. So just yeah. think about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I remember reading the statistics around the, the amount of advertising messages we get in a single day just by walking around is insane. It's like, you know, from like the bus stops uh, from the, yeah. the big sort of signals you see over buildings. Special to the forest, Las, yeah, London, especially in big cities like London. Yeah, like London, Las Vegas yeah. is like that, too. Just walking up yeah. and down the street. trains, you're, you're in the tube, as you guys say, over there. You know, it's all there on the walls. Yeah. And, and then, if, yeah. hell, even if you got like this hot girl walking in front of you. Hell, you see every name brand on each ass cheek right there going side by side, like, oh, true religion. Okay. <laughs> to my, <laughs> and so some other chicks as you stand, that girl's but like, oh, I guess I need to get some true religion jeans so you can look at my ass. You know, it's a, that's clever marketing right there, right? Whoever came up with, let's put our logo on the ass cheeks. Because, you know? guy, we know everyone's looking there anyway. So that, that's, exactly. that's, that's our Trojan horse <laughs> to get people to look at stuff they would never look at otherwise. <laughs> to my, yeah, let's just make these fitted T-shirts for women because you know, and then put our brand right across where the breast would be because guys are staring there anyway. <laughs> so, and then some, 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 so then you, probably some other chick is looking too. So she's thinking about that. And there's like, so it's all these things are strategically placed over and over. So next thing you know, you, instead of turn off TV, just, you know, put your eye, just poke your eyes out. <laughs> okay. That's the only way you're going to be healthy because so, <laughs> everybody's <laughs> buying well, your you vision. You still hear stuff. <laughs> some, yeah. Stevie Wonder's got it made, man. I'm just trying to tell you. <laughs> I mean, someone's going to make like a spoof advert of like bananas or something, you know, like do like kale, like a kale advert because, you know, I just, I still haven't, I mean, I don't know, maybe in the U S you guys have it. Um, but I, I haven't ever seen over here in the UK, like vegetable adverts, you know, I, well, yeah, it's like I always tell people how like, much money you know, there is. Yeah. I would say like, you always know what foods to eat because those are the ones you're not going to see on a TV commercial. Right. <laughs> you know, no, my, yeah. But you know what? It's funny. The, the, there are some banana commercials, but they're always going to be like from Chiquita or somebody like that, where it's very, very heavily GMO bananas. Oh, right. right. Rarely going to see an organic banana commercial. Right. You know, you're never going right. to see that. No one's really going to push organic fruits and vegetables or whatever else. Or if they do, it's going to be on a more higher end channel which has a more mm. higher end, you know, uh, audience. You're not going to really see that on basic cable. You're not going to see that on the local channels as much because, you know, the income is a little different to that audience. So what they're doing, they're going to play to their audience. So if you're watching CNBC, you're going to see more higher end commercials on CNBC because they're really about 
money and capitalism on that channel. So they're going to focus on people who can afford, in their mind, who can afford these things. Everyone else, they're going to dumb it down. So you go to UPN, well, I don't even know if that's still around, but WB, you know, they're going to end up showing McDonald's. You know, you go to BET, <laughs> it's freaking Kentucky Fried Chicken commercials, which is insulting and racist at the same time. <laughs> it's like, really? Why are there so many? Kentucky it's like, fried oh, we know, we know you guys go to KFC. Let's exactly. Throw that there. Yeah, I'm I gonna put on like Popeyes, Popeyes next. <laughs> <laughs> and what's so, what's so funny about it? Even the actors they pick for those commercials are specific to that channel. I can watch a Popeyes commercial on ABC. And the black people in that Popeye's commercial, <laughs> put them on BET, everybody, everybody. Well, I guess the one benefit I've seen on BET and seeing that they're all black on Popeye's, the lady that owns the Popeye's is black. So I guess that, that goes to like, hey, we can be entrepreneurs and be business owners, obviously. <laughs> you know, so at least she owns her business. You know, there's the one positive out of it, but then it's Popeye's. You like, you couldn't go and get something better? Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. A much better restaurant than that? <laughs> I don't know, man. So, yeah, it's just... It's amazing what advertising does to your mental without you realizing it and how they influence what you think and how you see things and how you view yourself and your own health, man. Yeah, there's there's an article I read recently from – I don't really know how to pronounce his surname. I think it's Joe Maganiello, something like that, the actor. In, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, right. the guy. Yeah, um, yeah so basically – true, true Blood, yeah. True yeah. Blood, that's it, yeah, yeah, that actor. So um, basically he was talking about how he, he got his blood – he got some blood tests done uh, from this guy that used to work for the NASA or something. And it turns out he had – a humongous amount of arsenic level in his blood because wow. of all the chicken he ate over wow. the years that wasn't organic and yeah. because wow. of the amount of arsenic that was found in chickens. And I just thought, like, that is wow, insane. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that is yeah. yeah, so basically they – he I don't know what he did. I think he – Probably know. heavy metal detox or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Chelation, chelation therapy, something along those lines. Yeah, and I just thought I just thought that was that was mad. It's like, you know, and, and I thought it was – I mean, other well, well, people are hearing this are going, wow, that's crazy. They're probably in the same situation exactly. and never even measured that. <laughs> meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, they're watching forensic files and there's this guy like, well, it seems that like the spouse was, you know, killed from arsenic poisoning. And now there's going to be a lot of people whose spouses are in jail who might feel like, okay, I need a retrial. It may have been all that chicken that he was eating. It may not be me. chicken. <laughs> he was eating chicken. I didn't poison him. Come on, man. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's always amazing to me how people can't put two and two together. You go, you look at the state that the animals are in in factory farms and then you're eating that every day for 10, 20, 30 years. You really don't think there's going to be any negative consequences of that? That's, that was my second point yeah. I was going to bring up that, that, um, the Mark was bringing up when he's talking about his father. He's somebody, you know, no matter what, how, how much advice you give him and all the things you share with him that he won't change his eating habits. Well, another thing is there are so many chemicals in these foods that yes. you become completely yeah. dependent. And it's just like, it's like telling a crackhead who's been, or a yeah. cokehead who's been doing coke for 40 years. He's been doing it since Kennedy was in office, you know, since, <laughs> you know, during, during the hippie revolution here. And here we are and he's still doing a little, little bit here, a little bit there and telling him that, Hey, you need to get off that. Dude, it's so much a part of them now. Even like people have been smoking for 50, 60 years and you right. try to tell them stop smoking now. They might just die immediately because their body, because the body is so freaking resilient. It is now acclimated to all that cigarette smoke and found a way for you to survive during all this time. But then if you sit there and go cold turkey and stop, then it doesn't know what to do now. It's like, well, what we've been working so hard for 50, 60 years. So when you start removing that chemical dependence of these artificial foods from people, man, it's very hard. And it's sending so many artificial messages to the brain. So it makes it very hard. And like, so I can get it because, you know, I, I live with someone who's been dealing with this all her life and I've yeah. seen it firsthand. And I, you know, it made me more empathetic to it. Like being in the fitness industry, we can be such snobs, you know, because we made a decision. 
you know, to, to take charge of our life and whatever else and thing like, you know, all you got to do is make a decision. Yes. At, at the ground level, that's that's what it comes down to for everyone. But at the same time, everybody's at different levels of how they're dealing with stuff. And you don't know exactly how long have they been dealing with it and what what got them there. Just like even with people with crappy relationships, I always wonder what what made you such an asshole in the first place? You know, to be such an asshole to your wife or your girlfriend or your husband mm-hmm. or your boyfriend. Then I always wonder what was the source like? What was your family life like? What what examples did you grow up around? That, that told you that this is okay. Were you around a father that told your mother she was worthless and she wasn't about anything and go fix me a sandwich. That's all you're good for and blah, blah, blah. And, and your mother accepted that and she didn't do anything about it. So in your mind, you think like, well, this must be okay. Cause mommy, if, if sure. your parents can't be wrong when you're a child, they can never be wrong. So if they said this was okay, then it must be okay. Even when you get old enough to realize that wasn't okay, it's still drilled in you subconsciously so deep. And you'd make, you do certain things and have certain actions. You want like, why did I say that to her? Why did I act that way or whatever? And then you start thinking about it. Oh, because my dad said it's my mom. And I actually forgot about that because it became so commonplace. Yeah, ah, that's where I learned that oh. from. So mm. you got to kind so of much, so much learned behavior that we just recycle yeah. without yeah. even realizing it. Exactly. 100%. You know, so yeah, it's always it's, a, it's, it's always a trip when someone says, I'm my own man. You're really not. <laughs> yeah. You've been programmed. I mean, Somebody, you've been well designed. It's like weird science. Somebody, the person you are today is through the craftiness and, and, and all the people putting in their input to build you to who you are. Now, you need to be Frankenstein now, cut the cord and then let loose and be your own monster. But up until this mm-hmm. point, you were created. This is programmed. You know, you just need to understand that. Even when you feel like you're taking charge, there's somebody programmed you to be someone to take charge. You know, no one's ever their own person, man. Right. Yeah, and you and you, see, and you know, and, and I love what you're saying because I mean, I, I, I thought I read an article somewhere about basically by the age of five, you've already built your personality, yeah. and then the rest of that is just you sponging from around you, yeah. um, and you know, you, and you don't know better. You know, I think it's I think it's, it's great what you said in terms of what my 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 biggest realization in my thirties is that basically my parents did their best, yeah. but they don't necessarily know best. Exactly. They did the yeah. best of what they yeah. had. And that's they did the that's best the, that's exactly. the realization I came to. Yeah. Like, they yeah. had to work like, with what they had. Exactly. And I'm grateful for that because, hey, yeah. one thing about it, I'm not a screw up. You know, I'm not in jail and prison and all these other things that are supposed to happen to me by the time I was 21. None of that stuff even made sense to me when I used to hear those statistics like, you're going to be dead by 21. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? So I can go ahead and then prepare myself yeah. to <laughs> make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and when I started, and then I realized what they were basing those statistics on. I said, well, I'm not out here in the streets. I'm not out here doing this. I'm not selling drugs. I don't, I come from a pretty much middle class family and my ass needs to be home by the time the street lights come on. So I'm not out at night doing who knows what, you know, and the people I hang around are not into those activities. What I was like, so my chances of all that stuff are going, going less and less and less and less and less. So I'm not the one being paranoid of turning 21 at that time. I'm actually looking forward to it. And somebody not even just saying, oh, I'm going to drink at 21. I already had a drink before then. So I wasn't even waiting for that either. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my thing is, again, it came down to the how I was raised and things that I learned or whatever else. So all those statistics didn't mean a thing to me. And it just sucks for some people around me where that did happen to them. You know, and I'm very fortunate, again, because my parents, from what they understood all this stuff, they dealt with all these different things growing up. They had the right equipment to help equip me. I didn't necessarily have to live their life and do what they did, but they shared their experiences with me. And it was up to me to do something with that information. You know, I can do now I do that with my kids. Like, look, I'm just saying this, 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 and this from what I've known, blah, blah, blah. Now you can do what you like with this information. I'm just sharing it with you. And then you're done. Why? Because two out of three of my kids are adults. And my third one might as well be an adult. So that's how you have to treat your children and not baby them because you're not equipping them to 
take charge of their life by babying them. Because then when things go awry, they're looking at you like, okay, things are not working out. What do I do, mom? What do I do, dad? And then now you're trying to decide like when they need something in that situation that, oh, you're an adult, figure it out. You didn't equip them to be an adult. So I think that's the first yeah. thing right there. Let, yeah, let, let them make their own decisions, man. You know, and just kind of guide them, try to keep them from effing up when they're kids. But at the same time, let them be able to use reasoning and start thinking things out instead of just always giving them the answer. Sure. Ask them more questions. What should I do? I don't know. What do you, what, how, what do you think you should do? And let them use reasoning, you know? Mm, there's, there's a, one of my parents' friends called David Askew once gave me, I remember asking him, like, you know, what do you think is a secret to parenthood? And he said, well, you know, he kind of thought away. He said, well, you know, give, give them love, a sense of humor and, and confidence and the rest they'll take care of it. And, and it kind of really resonated with me. You know, it kind of stuck with me over the years. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a dad yet. I hope to be um, sometime soon. Um, and, and yet I think it's so interesting how, and I see it with my, my family, just how, how much of an influence it, that your parents have on you. Yeah. I mean, you gotta you understand, know? you spend most of your days, the first, those first few years, they're the only people you're hanging around. You know, if you're yeah. fortunate enough to have your family around, you know, sure. and then after that, you got this split influence going between eight to nine hours a day being with a teacher at school. And then the rest of that day is with your parents. So you got that. So now you got this, this mix. So you got to kind of hope that, you know, as a parent that, you know, the values that your these teachers or whatever have are some basically these teachers just need to teach and 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 just pretty much, you know, keep them keep your child as disciplined as possible, you know, without trying to infl- put put your stuff on this kid as a teacher, because it may not be in line with what's going on at that kid's house. You know, but I think what's going on now, even up in the you know, university level, you even have these professors trying to really put their views upon the students, especially then because they're fresh. They're out of the house now. And in that child's mind, he's thinking like, OK, now I'm 18. I'm a man. I can think for myself now because I'm on my own. And that mind is still very vulnerable to pr- and very impressionable. And so I think a lot of these professors understand that. And they really started spouting out their own ideals upon them instead of actually just asking the student, like, what do you think? And why is that? Instead of just like, this is, you know, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Oh, forget what your parents said or what they taught you. You know, you, dude, that's not your but place. That, You're there to teach the also, lesson. It's also the easiest thing to do, right? I mean, it's yeah. so much easier to give the answer than to wait for the questions to be answered. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, they may give you an answer that you don't necessarily agree with. So what? To my, right. to my, that's what's called being an individual. To my, we're not trying to have a, a society where yeah. everybody thinks the same and does the same thing. You know, we're not all trying to just be robots here, even though that's what's happening in a lot of situations, which is scary. <laughs> when people just do things again, that whole, what is the crowd doing? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go with these guys because it's safer over here. I don't want to think. I don't want to be. Well, different. they even did a study with six guys, and if five guys order the same drink, the sixth person's going to order what the other five did, <laughs> whether that person wanted it or not. Exactly. Like, well, and that that blowed my mind because I, I don't even pay attention to what anyone else. No, wants. I don't either. I know what I'm going to get. I know what I want. <laughs> Someone else gets whatever they're getting. I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'll get that too. I have a short day. I'm like, nah, dude, give me a double malt scotch. Here we go. <laughs> I'm not drinking that. <laughs> I probably even hear you order wine in the first place. No, I haven't. I'm thinking look about what I'm yeah. <laughs> I look at. Oh, you got some wine. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's true though. I mean, it's just the, the group effect, you know, the peer pressure effect of just people who lose, you know, and, and a lot of the stuff that we're sort of talking about seems to be going around the same thing, which is basically, you know, owning, owning kind of who you are, what you want to do and, and, and just being okay with that, you know? And, and I think if you, if you're not super clear about that, it's so much easier to just take on pe- other people's stuff. Well, yeah. it, makes, it makes it hard to be part of any organization. This is why I've never lasted in any organization, whether it's a job or a, 
an organization in the fitness world that I was a part of because at, at some points they want you to fall in line and do this and carry this line. And, and right there you've lost me. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not interested. They don't want you, people don't want you asking questions like, well, you know, I don't, right. I don't necessarily feel that way. And well, you know, no, but that's how we've been, how we've always done it sincere. Okay. But guess what? <laughs> yeah. You know, for over a hundred, 400 years, slavery was the common thing, too. So, <laughs> let's just bring that back because that's how things were always done, okay? And, and that was the justification to just keep it going. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's always well, hey, been look, this way. It that's the way it is. That's, <laughs> your, that's your lot in life. You just, you just have to accept it. Kind of people are being beheaded overseas. Well, it's always been that way for that. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so. Yeah, but, and but then they'll flip it like, well, I don't, I don't behead people. I'm just saying that's just the way it's been. He's like, well, that's, that's your excuse. You know, come on, man. It makes you, makes you a bigger part of the problem because you're almost like saying, okay, it's okay. I'm, I support that. You know, so that, that's, that's that one thing that nobody wants to be the guy that sticks out because, you know, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of hood as they would say. It yeah, takes big balls to say that's... like, nah, not me. I won't do that. That's not right. Well, come on, man. Nope. No. And then because you know what? Now those people have to make a decision. Well, it isn't right. So who am why am I doing this? They have to start looking at themselves and it makes them very uncomfortable. So they start a lot of times they'll backtrack on you like, oh, you just think you're better than we are. You think you're bigger yeah. than us. You think you're smarter than us. You know, think you're stronger than us or whatever. Or, like, and you're like, yes, as a yes. matter of fact, I do. Somebody, well, somebody, look, if that's what, look, man, who am I to deny how you feel? If that's how you feel, <laughs> I will support your decision, man. So if you think I'm better than you, then damn it, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> so, yeah. But do you think there's like this, do you think it's like such a, we're so quick as like a society to sort of, sort of point fingers and, and, and kind of make fun of people who try and do something different. I mean, I don't know about how you guys, where with like the friends around you, the people that knew you when you started going off on your journeys and started doing your own businesses. But suddenly when you start sticking out, you become a target for a lot of people who kind of have a lot of shit going on with them that they just haven't sorted out and they just take it out on you. I mean, the flip side, fortunately, is you also become an inspiration for a lot of people. And that that was more of my experience rather than ridicule. It was like a lot of people I knew were like, man, that's cool. You're going to do that. You're making that happen. And then they would follow up five years later, see what's going on, be like, whoa, that's crazy. I I didn't really have the experience of people around me going, oh, that's never going to work because I don't don't hang out with those kind of people. The fuck do I want to hang out with people that are going (laughs) to tell me what I can or can't do? I mean, that doesn't doesn't sound like a a good friend. (laughs) Shit idea. I mean, if someone has a bad idea and they're like, at least I think they have a bad idea. I'm not going to shoot it down. Like, come on, man, that's stupid. But I'm going to I'm going to give them some constructive criticism. Exactly. Mm. And that's what a friend does, though, right? Like, if you know, if you hear like if, if someone has a dream and you, in your mind you're like, man, that is a poorly put together plan. But I don't want to ruin their dream. That's not being a good friend either. Saying nothing. You know, say what you, you ask to- those right questions. Like, well, man, you know, do you? How do you see this actually panning out into this level, you know, in the next couple of years or with the current plans you have? Let them start talking it out. Most people, I mean, so many people waste so much money with therapy because most time when you go to therapy, the therapist is not even offering anything. They're just asking questions. They let you talk it out and you find answers on your own. So you're pretty much paying just to talk out loud. Guess what, man? I can talk to myself at home. Okay. And usually if you're, if I'm really listening to myself, I can find the answer in that instead of just babbling to myself. So once they, st- when you ask them the right questions and then your buddy's going on, well, man, I'm going to start off doing this and blah, blah. And then. Well, hell, how the hell am I going to do that? And you're just kind of looking at them, shaking your head like, exactly. <laughs> and then they're like, uh, yeah, you know what? I mean, I mean, sometimes you hear people's plans and you don't have to say anything because you know they're going to realize real fast. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go try that. <laughs> Two steps in, they realize, you know what? This is not going to work out yep. because of this, that, so far. You know? 
<laughs> yeah. And, and you know, and I, I just want to, I thought it was, that was a really interesting point about uh, counseling. And I think the, the thing that I, I was most surprised about when I started doing this kind of coaching journey was actually people very rarely have a space where they can share something with someone else and not be judged right. and not right. be told what to do. Yeah. You know, actually, and I think you'd be surprised what happens when actually someone, you're just there to say, yeah, I believe you or I hear you or tell me more, you know, and, and, and you create that space and it's just amazing because I get it. You know, it's like I could perfectly sort of speak to myself about that. But then suddenly when you create that environment where someone comes over and knows that they have a dedicated, whatever it is, an hour, two hour, whatever your format is, where they can speak about themselves and just vent out and open up and not be judged, man, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you, you literally see people transform and you don't, you don't have to do much, just sort of be there, listen, ask a few questions. And I, and I think there's, there's, I think there's value in transformation in that. Yeah, the yeah, best, I, I think that's that. one of the benefits of, ther- of a good therapist is they're not going to be biased. They're going to give you some objective feedback. They're going to give you an open space, as you said, Mark, to just vent a lot of that stuff out. And for a lot of people, that's really mm. cathartic. Some people don't have that because they'll start talking and then whoever's listening just wants you to stop. So they're going to, they're going to, they're, <laughs> they're going to, they're going to give you a solution to shut you up. It's like, it's like, you know what? Here's how you solve that problem. You go do this, you go do this. Now get the fuck out of here. You know? now, now, but the flip side of that is once the pre- people have that space, they get addicted to that. And they can't right. stop going. It's, it's, so they will ne- they'll never take action because, you know what, I'm just going to see my therapist. I'm just going to sure. see my therapist. And it's then like the next people, thing you know, they like start, they start bragging about it. They'll talk to people like, oh, come, girl, I love my therapist. You know, my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it becomes this thing like, why are you excited about that? It's like, oh, that's why I go see my therapist. And you've been going to it for 15 years now. And you really changed nothing in your life. <laughs> okay. no, it's like, it's like people who go to Tony Robbins seminars over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not picking on Tony necessarily. I'm just mean like any seminar. It could be, it could be one of our seminars when we, when we tie. You just keep taking the same course over and over again because you just like being there. You haven't learned anything from the other five times you've shot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, at some point you have to execute this stuff, not just keep coming back and getting the same message. It's like if they're addicted to like self-development porn. Right. Like, pretty much, but that porn is probably more expensive. Look, man, porn is free on the internet. Tony Robbins is not free. Well, you know, here's the thing about self-development books. Every single person who has bought one has bought one before. You know, a different one. So why didn't why didn't that one work? Oh uh, no, no, I, I couldn't resonate with that guy. You know, he he didn't talk to me. He just wasn't speaking to me when I was reading. He wasn't speaking to anyone. Okay, he was speaking to his accountant. And well, frankly, how many books have I sold this week? You know, no, in terms of like motivation for achieving whatever it is. Think and Grow Rich is pretty much the the top of the echelon there. Exactly. Now, now if, you, if you read that, yeah, what else, what else do you need to read on that topic other than that? In just about every book that you're reading now to some modern person or whatever, they got their inspiration from Think and Grow Rich. That's why sure. that book's been around for over 100 years. Okay, if this was working 100 years ago, okay, cool. Instead of somebody who just came out with a book two weeks ago, and this is like his eighth in a series. I'm like, come on, man. So, yeah. And, and look, I'm guilty of that. You know what I mean? It's like I, I'll put my hand up. Like I'm, you know, I love I genuinely love researching and reading. So I'll, I'll like read books. I'll attend seminars. Like I'll just do all that stuff. And at the same time, I do also try and do my own stuff so that I don't get trapped in that kind of <laughs> the roundabout of just consuming. Um, and, I, and I think people get so caught up in that, that they feel like they need that book and like they can't take action until they've read that that right. thing or that, thing, that program and, and they think that it's like no no it's, it's a bit like you know if someone gambling they're like no no the next next one i'm going to win next one i'm going to win <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's a bit like yeah next seminar i'm going to take action i'm going to follow my dreams i'm going to go and quit my you know my well, job the, the, the problem with the problem with a lot of these success type seminars is you go there it's a positive environment everyone's there because they want to be successful whatever the theme is 
And then usually there's a high energy speaker and people are people are dancing in the crowd, having a good time. People are hugging every five seconds. You know, like Tony Robbins. I mean, you're hugging every person in there before you leave, jumping up on the chair. (laughs) So so people have this real exuberant experience and they're like, man, I'm going to go take on the world once I walk through those doors. And then but before they've even just in the cab cab back to their hotel room, they realize, oh. Well, well, the, back in the world again. <laughs> well, the reality is they're not around that many high energy people back in the real world. Yeah, so when you're in that room full of high energy people are like, well, I like this. Well, guess what? <laughs> Nine times out of ten, this is not your reality. Yeah, so life's not a rock is, concert. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> the way you feel at a rock concert, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not every day, man, all day. That's not a daily, that's not a daily experience. And there's no way you can handle that if it was like that every day, all day. You would yeah, even for the guys out. in the band, it's not that experience. You know, there's going to be days where you're like, "Fuck, man, we got to do this shit. Let's get out there and do it." Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, th- I always thought about like, can you imagine? I don't know what you guys think about this, but imagine like being the Rolling Stones or one of those bands has been around for like centuries and uh and you've got to go on stage and, and you've got to play that same you know the same strum the same guitar bass doom doom do, do, do. you know and that's why keith richards looks the way he does okay he's, he's, <laughs> keith richards has been dead for about 50 years now no one knows it he's just he just, just cut this corpse up and it up. rotates every now and he's then. like he's like weekend at bernie's they just wheel <laughs> out there prop him up <laughs> but it's true though that even they, they just they like Oh, fuck this concert. Oh, if, I, I, would, I would so much rather just have a cup of tea. I, I, me personally, I, I don't do well with that level of repetition, so I would lose it. Oh, you know, yeah. I like to do something, hit it hard, and I'm like, you know what? I'm done with that shit. Time to move <laughs> on to something else. So yeah. to, to get out there and and people still want to hear those same songs you did 40 years ago. No, that, like, that Prince, Prince was like, no, I'm not going to do Purple Rain again, ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like, yeah that's, He's like, I got new music. I've had, I have a lot of new yeah, music. Well, it sucks. Well, don't come. No, I mean, I, Iron, Iron Maiden does that, too. They go, look, we're only going to play our new record. And, yeah, the audience gets pissed off. They go, we want to hear Run to the Hills. It's the whole thing. Come on, like, listen to Spotify you... with that. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can stay <laughs> home and listen to that. How depressing that must be. That must be so depressing, though. Like, you keep on putting new material. It's like, sure. Up. Well, well there's, a, there's a certain point in a band's career where they don't need to make a new song ever again because no one wants to hear it. They just want to hear their previous catalog, right? But for That's the true. band, so a lot of bands don't. They're like, ah, oh, fuck it. You know, we're basically a cover band of our own material. We're just going to go out there and keep <laughs> you know, recycling that stuff. And then there's other bands that are like, oh, we, we, we have to keep those interesting for us. Otherwise, right. we can't sustain yeah. this. Otherwise, you die. I think you creatively die. Even if we're not going to play all that new music live, we have to at least make it so that we're still in that creative world of producing new material, not just regurgitating stuff we did 30 years ago. Stuck right. time warp, man. Everybody else is advancing and moving forward. <laughs> you know, and they well, end up I mean, no, go ahead. No, some some people. No, I mean some people in in your life want you to stay in certain areas because it makes them comfortable. Makes them comfortable. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm yeah. sure you've dealt with that sincere. It's like, oh man, I loved it when you used to be a DJ. I still hear to this day. Like, <laughs> when you, to my, what, what is it going to take to get you out of retirement? I'm like, <laughs> so you know, like I always say, there's this one quote. I always say, I said, look, man, you don't have to set yourself on fire to make other people feel warm. Okay, so that's the thing about it. You don't have to sit there and make these people feel comfortable because they haven't chosen to get out of 1985. Okay. Yeah. I moved from 1992. I was like, "Come on, man. This is like 20 something years ago. Like, we're in a different millennium now. Can 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 you come up here now? Can you move forward?" <laughs> I'm like, "Geez." But, but uh, with like with music, a lot of times people are 
They want to hear those old songs. But they want to feel those old feelings. Take them back. Yeah, exactly. They want to feel. They want to remember what they felt that night when they were eighteen and they saw me DJ. And I'm like, dude, you're not eighteen. You're not. You're forty now. So, (laughs) and guess what? I mean, it's like people are age. So guess what? I don't want to think about the feelings I felt that night when I was like (laughs) twenty years old playing that record or whatever. It's because I saw freaking fourteen year old kids high on ecstasy in the middle of the floor and people stepping them. I don't want to relive that time ever again. (laughs) It raves. I'm I'm past that, especially as a father. You know, I don't want to relive those moments because it makes me wonder, like, I don't want that for my kids. Well, I mean, those are healthy responses because you want to be in the now anyway. Right. So, like, I, I, I always laugh at people that are, let's say, our age, since they're in their 40s, and they, and they only listen to music that they listened to when they were in high school and college. <laughs> no. You know, they, don't, they don't listen to any new bands. They don't know about any new the, new scenes. Right. And they're like, oh, music sucks now, like that kind of theory. <laughs> like, oh, you're well, going to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me, to me, there's, there, there's more good music out now than there ever has been. It's, there's just so much crap that you have to dig <laughs> through it to, right. to find it but it's there so I, I i think just staying abreast of new material new bands new talent going to see these bands live that, that, that yeah it keeps you yeah. youthful because you're mm-hmm. you're out you're staying current rather than oh i'm gonna go see alice in chains which in an audience looks like a <laughs> you know like an old homes place or something <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean we we're at megadeth not too long ago and i'm, I'm looking around and i was like man the, the people in front of us look like my dad on, you know it's they, like you know, they put the death <laughs> in megadeth okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> I saw kill switch engage. It's all young people. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, isn't it? Isn't it the um, the ACD? Isn't it Brian Johnson? I don't know if I, I don't know if it's yeah yeah. I it's that AC, yeah. yeah. Didn't you say that he was going to postpone his tour because he might be death? He might be he might that's be, right. Risk that's deafness that's or something. Happening. Yeah. Well, or he's going to risk deafness. Yeah. <laughs> See, they're, they're, that's called a hint. Okay. <laughs> Time to put ear, you should have put yeah. earplugs in 30 years ago. <laughs> Dude, you're going to literally lose. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, but it's well, funny you see, old, that, old much. You see that in almost every industry, man. Because even, you know, I just did like a, a, a defensive pistol course a couple of weeks ago. And there was a couple of guys there, man. They've been doing this. They've been firearms instructors for so many years. They, 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 you know, they were, they're vets and they were ex-law enforcement. So they've, they've been spending a lot of time behind firearms. And now they're instructors. And they've been doing that, let's say, 10, 15 years. And they still kind of have these old ways. But the thing is, some of these guys have... You know, especially because they're old school. A lot of them didn't necessarily do healthy things like wear the best ear protection back in the days, or they may have had some experience when they were deployed and all that. And it's to the point now, like you're giving them instruction or you're talking to them, they can't hear a freaking word you're saying. But (laughs) they're 40 years old, and they have the hearing of like an 80 year old man. You know, it's so crazy, man. It's just like, gosh, you gotta little things like that you take for granted in your youth. You know, you go all these concerts or whatever, and you're right by the speaker. You know, because you want to feel the music. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> tell you what, you're going to feel that music 20 years from now when you bitch. can't hear the music. You know, <laughs> you know, I was one of those DJs, man, just like I was very, very particular about my headphones big time because I always was I always focused on my hearing. I did not want to be that guy that's pretty much you have to turn everything up sky high when you're 35, 40 years old. You're watching TV and it sounds like you got surround sound. <laughs> you know, you're in a theater. <laughs> but all you're trying to do is you're just sitting there in the middle of the day watching a game show. I don't want to hear Steve Harvey that loud, man. You know, his booming and screaming or whatever else. But a lot of these guys have not taken care of the ears. And you're talking to them. They turn their heads sideways. I'm sorry, man. Say that again. I'm like, dude, you're 40. What the hell's wrong with you? You know, so it's just like all those little things, man, that you take for granted in your youth. And now, you know, I used to stress the guys back then, like, dude, you need to put your headphones on. You need better headphones. Don't just go for the cheap stuff. Get something that's going to really properly, like, help your ears out. I said, because you're going to be thanking me 20 years from now. Some of those guys, I see them now, they're pretty much deaf in one ear. And it's so crazy, man. So I'm just like, I don't ever want to be that guy. 
So. But isn't, isn't, isn't it just history repeating itself? It seems like, you know, every generation gets the parents and say, look, you're going to fuck yourself up. Like the 20 years. Exactly. And then he's like, shut up, old man. You know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, become, no, no, no one wants to hear that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're a buzzkill, man. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, like, dude. I don't want to hear your bullshit about losing my hearing. Screw you. <laughs> somebody, will make a, somebody will make a solution. Your bullshit it's like, it's like, don't worry, old man. Someone will make a solution to that by the time I'm your age. Exactly. <laughs> it's that mentality. <laughs> someone will make I'm a gonna, nap about it. It's like, it's like, I'm just going to merge with my computer at that age and live in there. You know? <laughs> Ray Kurzweil said we're all going to be living in Tron. You know, <laughs> That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Oh. Well, cool, man. Great, great talking to you, Mark. And you have, you have a really cool YouTube channel. You have a lot of good clips you put up. So where can people find out more information about that and your, anything else you have going on? Yeah, so people can go over and check out my YouTube channel. Uh, it's www.youtube.com forward slash Mark Roost. I've also got a podcast. If you want to go and check it out, um, it's called The Unconventionalist. It's on iTunes and SoundCloud. And uh, I hang out mostly on Twitter at Mark Roost. And I've also got a website, which um, is being updated, but it's www.markderoost.com. Uh, and yeah, that's it. Facebook and all that stuff. The, the usual, the usual business. So and my book. You're, you're already living through your computer. You hang out on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to get out in the real world, man. What are you doing? I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, if there's one thing. We're, really- we're all one step away from living in Tron as it is. <laughs> People are like, oh, that that movie's far fetched. I was like, yeah. And this is a guy's been on Facebook for eight hours. <laughs> so with some of the clothing that's all electrified and lit up like them, like, yeah, you're pretty much in Tron, dude. Look at that. Yeah, look at that yeah, outfit yeah. you're wearing right now. <laughs> So it's just a matter of time. But it's so true that it's just so, you know, I, you know, which is, which is insane because it's, it's, I've, I've helped so many people go through this process and I'm going through it at the moment. And it's like just how easy it is to just hide behind your laptop and just feel like you're being productive because you're doing all this content stuff. You're writing blogs, you're doing podcasts, you're doing videos, but are you actually speaking to people? Are you actually making a living? Like are you actually putting yourself out there? And that's, that's where I'm at. I think the big journey is actually get away from the laptop. And go in front of people and just do your work and just, you know, stop procrastinating by, by posting like cat videos on, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, yeah. man. So, yeah, man, we appreciate you coming by the show, man. Uh, definitely Thanks so talk much. Later on, especially when, the, you know, get the other book out there. We got to bring you back on and talk about that. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Really, really. Um, Thanks so much. And, and yeah, I hope, hope to have you guys again on, on my podcast, too. Awesome, man. Appreciate that. All right, take care, Mark. Appreciate it, man. Sounds good, Mark. Thanks a lot, man. You take care. Bye. Take care. Uh, I'm I'm hanging up. (laughs) Yeah, man. Get off the line, man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Get off the line. We got stuff to do over here. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that's our friend Mark LaRousse. Check him out on YouTube. Check out his website. Really great material. And also make sure to check us out by using that coupon code LLA. Go get 10% off the best nutrition supplements around. Definitely get my new supplement, Red, which is a natural energizer and adrenal support product. It's a killer. Anyone who needs wakes up tired, you need more energy for your workouts, you just need more energy in general to thrive, this is the product to really help rejuvenate everything. So use that coupon code LLA and get 10% off at MikeMahler.com. And you use the same coupon code at newwarriortraining.com and get 10% off of everything over there. From all you coffee lovers and tea lovers over there, you can get your Sharia doors, use that same coupon code, get 10% off of that, as well as the weight management course, which is pretty much set at your own pace. So therefore, you can take charge of your health, your fitness, your nutrition, learn about it, man, and know how to really put an action plan into place 
and not sit there and be at the mercy of someone just pretty much trying to tell you, like, you need to eat like I do or do what I do or be on this type of diet or do this type of training or whatever, because it works for me. You know, forget how it's going to work for you. This helps you figure out what does work for you. And like I said, you get to do it at your own pace. So check out that weight management program, man. A lot of great feedback coming from that. So you can hop on that as well. And also you can use that for my body weight training DVD, ebooks over there, all that. Right there, newwarriortraining.com. Also, you can head over to Patreon and become a monthly supporter of the show at patreon.com slash LLA podcast and continue to be a monthly supporter of the LLA show and keep it going and growing. And then that third option is always to go over to, yeah, I'm about to say statistics, so to Stitcher <laughs> and iTunes and leave us a review, rate us, share the episode with all your friends, all that, because that also helps the show keep going and growing as well. And if you can't figure out how to do any of this, it just means you need to go talk to your doctor, see if, see if your head is up your ass, and then oh, see if he or, he or she can pull it right out of there so you can actually see stuff. You're, you're, you'll find your hearing's better. You can see better. You know? <laughs> Certainly smells better. So, <laughs> all of your senses are just going to come alive when you solve that problem. <laughs> Uh, All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We'll catch you on the next show. All right, take care. Take care, everyone.